Sinir, Gontos, Kotex, Awara. Long ago, the four ancients created a world in harmony. Then, everything changed when the chat ebbed magic. Only Kelnor, master of good vibes, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. Two years have passed, and four adventurers have discovered a conspiracy, a company selling magic. And although their roleplay is great, they have a lot of XP to earn before they're ready to save anyone. But I believe they can save the world. Welcome back to the Wing Badger Tavern, where friends tell stories. I'm here with some of my friends. Let's have them introduce themselves. We'll just do Wash I guess, first, I guess. Yeah, I guess I'm on the top. Hey, I'm Wash. I'm on the top. I'm top Wash. <laughs> and uh, I'm here to play Jebediah Peppermint, the mofo gun wizard who spits fire and fires spit. And uh, dang it. Funny insert. Top, <laughs> top Wash only. <laughs> uh, I'll you, go Jake. next. Yeah, I was say I, I just figured Julia because I'd look at the screen order whenever we do this. Um, but uh, my name is Jake, and I play uh, Alan Woodrear, the Azamar Barbarian Artificer. Um, and it is wild to me looking at our intro because there's clips in that intro from season one where I was in my old room with LED lights in the background and also with a, like a headset mic instead of like a microphone microphone. So. I just, that's just a throwback. We'll, we'll have fun. to like we'll talk back. about the character development of the players when we finish the story. Like what arc have yeah. they been on? <laughs> that, I'm, I've, I've been on a pretty big arc, I would yeah. say. Yeah. I think, I think Jake has, yeah, the, the most development over like, I, I, we've been playing during like four, four years of your life. Yeah. I went I'm from just, single like, to engage during this campaign. Yeah. yeah. You graduated middle school. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I grew a beard right after that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There were some the time skips in Jake's while. life. I am Will of the Wisp, and I play Clara Albuquerque, and I shudder to think that I now have some friends from New York who may hear me do Clara's Brooklyn accent. Let's go. Oh. I'm Josh, the Wing Badger Game Master. I play almost everybody else. Technically, our players have a couple different characters. Um, we have two other players in our group who are normally here who are not here. One of them is on a ski trip and one of them is sickly ill. So we are going to just make decisions on behalf of their characters. Last time this happened, we made one of them wear a tutu for the rest of the adventure. So who knows what's yes. going to happen to them tonight. Uh, but without further ado, let's get back into tonight's adventure. And our adventure begins in the cafeteria on board the Cugboat. Your airship, your home base, uh, your base of operations, your mobile work site where at the completion of our last adventure you brought back a number of scavenged magical items to the Cugboat and over the six days that it will take the Cugboat to travel from that place to the next place of interest that you've identified there are a few important conversations that need to happen as uh, those items need to get divvied up to people and, and that sort of thing um, currently gathered in the cafeteria is Owlin, uh, Jebediah, Laredith, 
and Fox. Uh, Fox, having fallen ill, sits at the far end of a long cafeteria table from everyone. Nobody uh, wants to necessarily go near Fox. And Clara, who couldn't resist being around the the horde distribution uh, process here at Four Guys Ventures and Vibes. Uh, Fox coughing idly (coughs) from the end of the table as Jeb kind of takes the lead. Jeb, you at this point have kind of a manifest in your hands of magic items that have been identified by Laredith, but she's here in case you need help identifying what things are, how they work, or anything like that. So go ahead and take us away, Jebediah. All right. So uh, I think <coughs> I think I may have gotten what Fox had, so bear with me if I got to go off on some stuff. Don't worry, I disinfected all of these things, though. They're, uh, uh, they should be good to go. Technically, if you disinfected them and then coughed on them again, uh, like now, for example, that wouldn't so be anyway, good, but I appreciate <clears throat> it. Uh, yeah, we got some we got some stuff that I think it's going to be pretty useful. Uh, I got a little pile over here for Fox. First things first, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure what to do with... Yeah, yeah. Um, <coughs> no problem. All right, so... Uh, First things first, we got a whole bunch of armor that I don't know is going to be very useful. I'll take um, it. Because a lot of us, uh, well, <clears throat> we'll get there. Uh, but there was, a, there was quite a cachet of uh, adamantine armor. We've got a full set of plate. A full set of scale mail. Um, a chain shirt, which is like a little on the lighter side, so... Fox or Bruiser could probably use that and uh, a set of chain mail hmm. so we can we can kind of divvy those out I don't I mean none of them will work for me they're they're all way too heavy heavy and while it looks like they will fit you Alan it, it looks like they would probably be kind of restrictive so I'll I'll leave that up to you whether or not not uh, <clears throat> you want to dive in and use one of those uh, I will, They're pretty stout. Yeah, I will. I will think on it. Um, do some looking and seeing if any of them will uh, improve my uh, my defenses or not. I, I suspect, similar to you, that um, they they may do more harm than good for me. But I'll think about it. We could but, always, uh, if, says Laredith, adjusting her big round spectacles, we could always place them into storage here in the Cugboat so that they're available to the other adventurers at Four Guys Ventures and Vibes should we need to send them on an adventure that poses more danger to their person than perhaps they are prepared for. You know, I also oh, haven't gotten paid for too, my yeah. catering since I've been here. So, you know, yeah, so, like, I could, you could fill my board one. a little bit. Had to, uh, had to lighten yeah, so it we also Ladena. got, uh, let's see here, uh, Owlin, one thing that would be good for you um, are these. And uh, he pulls out two very large gauntlets. Uh, I I do have somewhat similar and Alan will uh uh hold up his um what are they called they are called bracers of defense mm, um mm. on on his arms i i have something similar um <clears throat> what what are what are those so uh these i don't know too much about giants but these are seem to be blessed with the strength of of a certain class of giant called an ogre Mm. Uh, 
and they're they're pretty they're pretty hefty um Side note from Wash, they'll make your strength score 19. Oh. While you wear them. While you wear them. The, and sure. all of these so far do require attunement. Well, the, the armor doesn't, but these do mm-hmm. require attunement. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that seemed like, <clears throat> I mean, honestly, I thought it would be funny if like I wore them um, because cause then that would like kind of come out of nowhere. <clears throat> sure. that That is but, fair. But strength is like your mo, and and having your mo be a would be a cool bo to the p. I don't know. I, I, I get I get what you're. Quick reminder yes, from I, the DM here: you can be attuned to three items at a time. Alan, you are to attuned Google to three, three at the moment. Um, okay, what's the my third? Bracers <clears throat> of defense, the rod of the rod. intelligence, and your, your scimitar, scimitar of speed. Scimitar. Oh, the scimitar is, a, is an attuned item. I forget. Okay. Which, by the way, you know, as I see Owlin kind of like looking over his gear, uh, not sure if you like, I'll let you be the tactician of this. Um, but again, this is probably another one that you're, you're really only going to be proficient with. <clears throat> Jeb turns around. And walks to like a longer table behind, um, and stretched out about uh, five or six feet long is uh, he like pulls this cloth off the top of it as <clears throat> a really ornately carved glaive, um, hmm. really long sturdy haft with a with a short curved blade on the front of it. Uh, this is a glaive of of warning. So it like alerts you when uh, it, it like alerts you to things that are around you. Kind of gives you like a like a, a bit of a sixth sense. Hmm. Mechanically speaking, um, you can't be surprised when you have it. Gotcha. Um, but tactically speaking, uh, it's two-handed. Um, it has a reach. Uh, the reach property, so it gives you an extra five feet of reach, which could be pretty huge. Mm-hmm. But it's heavy, which means small creatures uh, can't use it, and it requires special training. Uh, it's a martial weapon. And it yeah. has a ten-foot reach. <clears throat> right. It gives you an additional five feet of reach, so so you can yeah. attack ten feet away from you. Which could um, be pretty big. Yes, that that <clears throat> is quite interesting. I, I will note... Um, some of its benefits I do already kind of have due to my own barbarian training, um, such as, uh, I already have, um, advantage, I don't want to speak in character for that. I already do have advantage on being surprised, um, Hmm. and I have advantage on initiative, um, well, this says you can't be surprised. surprised. Yes, I I know. So it would be better than that, but yes. Um, I'm just talking on on things that like if we're if we're getting into thinking about usefulness, <clears throat> yeah. I and think also, along with the surprise, it gives you an advantage on initiative rolls. Yes, and Alan already has that. Um, gotcha. So the the th- I think the the giant the ogre strength gauntlets might be more useful to Alan. I think than the glaive. <clears throat> The the thing about the sim or how much damage does a glaive do? Maybe that's something I should take into consideration. Um, it's one d ten. Okay, 
Well, isn't Fox um, just like a little string bean guy? You know, is is that something that would make him him a little <coughs> more useful? <coughs> well, well, the thing about the thing about that is that I the the glaive is a long weapon, and so you kind of have no, to. Like, no, no, really... I'm talking about the gauntlets. You know, like oh, the they gauntlets. go nice on your wrists. Go normally, well with your tutu. Normally, I like to kind of attack with like my nimbleness. You know, like my agility is kind of. You You're know, looking real the core agile, ability baby. of my, well, okay, thanks, Clara. <laughs> but like <laughs> in general, when I fight, I like to use like my my agility to like get around and you know sneak up on people and stuff. So it's not you know it might be good. I mean, if no one else wants, I'll take them. You know, I think it could be cool. But like, I don't necessarily need to be like super strong to do most of what I do. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, 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 I do understand that. And I think that, um, those, those gauntlets, I think, I think I will perhaps sub out or swap my bracers of defense and Alan will kind of slide them off his wrists. Um, and, uh, I think substitute for those, those gauntlets of, of ogre strength, the glaive, however, um, I don't know if will be as useful to me. Um, I think a lot of the things that it helps with, I already somewhat have covered. Um, and I also do really still find a lot of practicality in my scimitar of speed. It would always be possible, theoretically speaking, for you to determine based on the day's events, which of the items you'd like to be attuned to. You would just need to go through the attunement process for that item which will take a significant amount of time. So you'd want to do it in something like this, where you're traveling between one place and another, but you think that one item might be more valuable in the next place. I will make sure it gets to the armory. And Laredith kind of adjusts her spectacles. Fox coughs from the other end of the table. (coughs) If you're not going to use those uh, bracers, like maybe that could be good for me, you know, since I'm I'm not maybe as buff as you are in a fight or whatever. The bracers, you can't wear armor and you can't have a shield for the magical tact uh, effect to take. Well, like, um, am I wearing armor? I actually don't know that answer. Fox looks down at himself. Do I wear any yeah. armor? I think it's on brand that Fox forgets that he's wearing a changeable arm, like a magically changeable armor. <laughs> oh, because it's a tutu right now. So <coughs> you got a nice yeah. skirt and you got oh, yeah, nice right. legs. My tutu um, of defending myself. You're right. You're right. That is. If we do armor. put it in the armory, uh, Radford would probably be the only one else who could use it because he doesn't use armor. Got it. I will see to it that it is added to the manifest and Laredith adjusts her spectacles, pulls a pencil from behind her ear and starts <coughs> taking some, some notes on a parchment. So do you all just have like a group horde? This is this is weird. Uh, that's confidential information. Do I not? But like, yes. Do I not I mean, yes, we here? do. We, we have a we have a. Yeah, we got we have a company hoard, so to speak. How do I get we, in we on don't, this company hoard? Uh, did you sign the paperwork we gave you yet? Are you a part of the company? Are you an employee? I don't remember any papers. I don't remember doing an onboarding with you. Ah, well, <coughs> after an onboarding, was there a safety we, we, video we, on a uh, Yes, th- well, not. Uh, I don't know if we finished editing it, but um, you know, yes. she might be a ten ninety nine independent contractor. 
Mm, this is fair. I'm, I'm not actually on the payroll. <laughs> well, I mean, that makes dead tracks. Somewhere in the airship, Zal is like sit, sitting up at a, at a desk, working hard on the paperwork, trying to decide what, <laughs> what Clara should be. She's got the 1099 and the full-time employee paperwork in front of her. And she's like, she doesn't know because no one will tell her what the pay should be because y'all demoted Joffrey and made him mm. a janitor. And so she's just like mm. sitting there like, mm. I, I don't know. The paper never made it past the accounting department. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got my own That's business funny. to think of. So, you know, I I am more independent, but I, I, I'm going to need some hoard some, some of these days here. So if you pick up anything shiny that can't go to muscles over here, I'm very interested. We'll, we'll keep you notified. Uh, we also do have gold that works pretty well in a hoard. I love <clears> some <throat> gold. Wingle digits. They just, yep. Fox, you'd be willing technology. to donate like all that gold you found, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, I, uh, I don't. I don't know if now's a good. I'm not feeling Sounds so like a well. Winner. So right now is a bad time to kind of. <laughs> Sounds like we're gonna have to have another wager. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last, uh, we, we've got a couple more things. Um, there's two here that I think would work well for for Fox. Um, this musical instrument, the saxophone here. Um, Whoa! We'll get let me, that let over me to, see that, man. <clears throat> you like hand yeah, it yeah. down pipe a riff off of this um and then we've also got something called um uh, <clears throat> a medallion of thoughts and he holds up like this uh this little medallion that kind of has like this golden skull on the end with these two little red-ish gem eyes and up and down the chain are like these little gold alternating gold and red beads um <clears throat> lets you uh like see into people's minds and catch their surface thoughts and mm. but if you like dig into it a little deeper like with time and concentration you can like f- feel out people's deeper thoughts <clears throat> useful for a lot of us but I know Fox is a quick talker and so that would kind of give him some you know some insider information on that uh, yes I think that would be quite practical uh, also, I was thinking this might work well for Bruiser, too. Bruiser is pretty insightful. Um, and he's got the big network of people. Yeah. True. Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, with the, when he kind of wheels and deals with his contacts, that, that could be useful there, too. So uh, let's see. Uh, we got a Pearl of Power, which is pretty much going to work for me. Um, well, I mean, I'm kind of, it essentially lets me, would let me, uh, like recover magical energy, um, throughout the day, it will absorb magical power from the, uh, well, if it were bathed in sacrium, it would absorb it from that. But if it's in the presence of, uh, the rod, one of the pieces of the rod of seven parts, it absorbs some magical energy from that. And you can use it. I could use it in lieu of spell components and like spell energy. Um, if you cast a spell, you could instead of drawing it from your normal sources or like from my spell shells, you could like draw it out of this pearl. <clears throat> so interesting. Um, so I was thinking, hey, you know, I got so many spell shells that I can throw throughout the day. More is always better. You know, in the kind of in the spirit of it's my MO, make your MO better, kind of like those gauntlets. Yes. But it also makes me think for you guys who do have a couple spells here and there, you might benefit from having a few more um, that might like round things out. I don't I don't know. 
I, I don't feel that way about myself necessarily. What is uh, conflicting about the two types of training that I have had is that, you know, things that I learned with my soldier training um, are one thing. Um, however, when I go into my um, rage state, uh, I actually cannot cast any spells using my artificer training. Um, so because of those kind of conflicting things, I don't know if I need to necessarily concentrate on enhancing my artificer spells mm. necessarily. Um, I'm more interested in the tinkering and knowledge side of it anyways. Um, so I don't feel the need to uh, use something like the Pearl of Power. Well, but I think it's, it's quite also for you too. It's also for lower spells. Um, about a third level spell is what it could uh, supplement. And it's only once per dawn. <clears throat> um, so again, it, I mean, maybe Fox or Bruiser, but they, they, they don't cast too many spells, so that's why I was just going to kind of hold on to it. But Yes, I think um, that's fair. If, you, if, they, if they sober up a little bit and it seems useful to them, I'm not 100% sold on it being for me. We sure. have a couple other ones here that are uh, consumable. Um, <clears throat> we have a potion of vitality. Hmm. Uh, this one removes any exhaustion <clears throat> and cures any disease or poison affecting you. <clears throat> That's very handy. So we're going to, yeah. Um, also, while it is in your system, when you rest, uh, like... Game mechanic wise, hit die, hit point recovery is just max die. Oh, nice. So, like when you roll hit dies to hit die to hell to heal, yeah, it's just max dice, which is kind of mm-hmm. nice. That is nice. Um, <clears throat> that's so we can just keep that on somebody and keep it, keep it near them. The exhaustion could be actually be pretty awesome depending upon stuff that we can do with our abilities like if something involves exhaustion or if you know Mm -hmm. pushing through we seem to run into that kind of stuff more than we do necessarily like poisoning and diseases sure plus i think we have magic to take care of diseases and poison um we've also got some universal solvent uh which is great for melting glue Mm. um it will dissolve any kind of glue um, especially like the, the, like even like the super duper ultra high, probably permanent for the rest of existence type of glue. Uh, I, it's a bit of a niche case, but if we were to do something like glue a trap in place and splash it on to like, you know, or something like it, we could probably find some, some crazy use for it. But, uh, there's that. <clears throat> Well, and that seems this. like it should go to the, the sick, shifty one over here. And she points a finger at Fox. Yes. I can, yes. I can hang on yeah. to it. Sure. That's fine. Yeah. We'll do that. We'll do that. Okay. Um, and then Alvin, this last one, I don't know who it should go to because it's less about a person's ability and more about their creativity. Hmm. What and he it? sets down... Uh, a little case, this little wooden box. Um, it's got two little notches on the front, and you plip, plip. Um, <clears throat> and nice. I rolled a four on my D4 DM. Nice. 
There are four little pots inside. One looks like a skull. One looks like a frog with like the top opened up on it. And one looks like a little fish holding its mouth open. And another one is uh, like a strawberry. And and on the top of them are these little, little holes or little pots. And inside of them are these different paints. Hmm. Um, these are... Uh, which god was it, DM? Was it Kelnor's? Yeah, Kelnor's. Kelnor's Marvelous Pigments. Kelnor's Marvelous Pigments. And I I think it would probably be better just to show you what they do than, uh, than tell you. And he takes this little quill. There's a couple different styled ones in it. This one looks like a carrot. And he dips it into the little strawberry one. And on the table, he draws a little peppermint, a little circle, like Mm -hmm. like a little peppermint leaf. And when he connects it and kind of colors it in, um, there's a mild little shimmer that goes across the surface of it. And he picks it up and hands it to Owlet. Uh, when Alan feels it, is it like a real peppermint yeah, leaf? It is a um, it is a peppermint. Alan takes a little nibble off of it. Tastes it exactly taste? how you'd expect it to. Interesting. That is yeah. quite marvelous. Oh quite my marvelous. Good this you know what we could have done with that in Gaim? Does that There's just make a lot food? Of stuff. Is it just food making? Oh it's my. not just food. So essentially, like, you could walk up to an impregnable fortress, and we could draw a door into the side of it, turn the handle and open it and walk in. We could draw or paint all sorts of things. Um, there's only so much. Like, this is a consumable. But, oh, it runs out. I, I see. Yeah. But there's... Um, I mean, if I did the math, I mean, blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. Kind of scratches a couple of things up. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, About a thousand square feet. Wow. I mean, and that's like if you like color it all in or whatever. So there's a lot. But I mean, this could be useful for anything like, say, the ship hull breaks. You know, and we just draw a replacement panel or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, there's so many options here. It's it's quite fantastic. That is. I've never heard of something like that. That is the most <laughs> incredible thing I've ever done seen. So I don't know who it should go to is the thing. Because, like, I mean, you could imagine what Fox would pull off with this. You this could imagine what Bruiser could pull off with this or you in your inventions or me and my contingency plans. Like, there's just... There's a lot of potential in this. What little happens thing here. if you 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 drew a leaf and it's a you know it's a pretty good leaf like it, you ate it looks like it must have been pretty realistic. What if you draw something that's not really real? Like if what if I'm I'm thinking what if somebody was bad at art you know <clears throat> had some art block mm, would this mm. not work for them anymore? Because I you know oh I would like this for myself, but that seems to be a theme for me. And y'all are more of a, like a a (laughs) communist society, but Uh, I mean, we're more like a capitalist society, but you know, but, uh, Uh, I don't know. You're not dragons is all I'm saying, but, um, but I do know I've been talking around to everybody who's, who's coming in and into the kitchens and Riley's got a pretty good hand for art. 
So if you needed somebody who could draw accurately, I think she's probably your best bet. But if you wanted somebody who could draw creatively, you know, come up with ideas, maybe she needs to work with somebody else. She could get one of these, one of these, she's pointing to her ring, her earring that allows her to speak to Bruiser. Um, You could just have her on, on hand to start drawing things as, as things come up. But yeah, I don't know. That's, 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 I mean, that's a fantastic idea. If we wanted, (laughs) if wanted or needed accuracy, um, I, you know, I, to, to like message back on the ship and say, Hey, we need this, send one down or something like that. Do, do, do you know Jeb, whether it needs accuracy? Because that is something we could, I could easily test right now. Like, do I know what, to, whether it needs accuracy? Uh, let's see. I mean, Jeb like flips through his notes. Uh, it takes about 10 minutes to cover a hundred square feet. So there's a little bit of time. Um, anything that you make is non-magical. Obviously, so it only creates mundane stuff. So you couldn't draw um, his da, da, scimitar da, da, da. and get another one. Right, right. Um, uh, while while Jeb is doing that, Alan just might take the quill and like just do a little tiny dip, and uh, he's going to draw something that looks like kind of just like a scribbled mess. Like it's not not huge. Like it's not something very big. It's like a small scribble. But in his mind, he's intending that it's a delicious chocolate bar. Uh, what happens? Get the sense that somewhere out there, the universe is frantically researching this problem. <laughs> <clears throat> While is he's that doing that, Jeb's still reading it off. Um, Are you try to so, help Fox look older? Uh, no, my intention is that it is a chocolate bar. But um, I'm intentionally testing the limits I of see, the need for accuracy. There is a there is a limit to the material. Um, it it looks like there's almost like a value marker. Things can't be worth more than a hundred or than twenty five wingle digits. So if you were to mm. like make a stack of I don't know like like I like paint a case of twenty thousand wingle digits, they would look authentic. But be upon close inspection, yeah, it would reveal that they're made of like paste or like some other worthless material but they would look authentic Hmm. also you can paint energy um but it quickly dissipates Hmm. so if you were to like paint a fire once you finished painting it it would boom into flame but since there's like no fuel there it it would sustain it burn out Hmm. right but but it would still do it yeah does this need to be near the you know you're like you're like pokey magic poke Yes, this mm. definitely does draw from the weave, so it would need to be some, near some source of magic to draw the energy to create the stuff. Alan, roll a performance check using intelligence as the modifier. Okay. That's a crooked die. I'm going to re-roll. Uh, 13. 13. Uh, your scribble of a chocolate bar when when you finish and it becomes three dimensional uh is like it's it's 3d and it is a chocolate bar but it looks exactly like your scribble and okay. so as you pick it up it's got like weird angles cut into it and stuff yeah. you know um okay. it like crinkles weirdly you try to pull the wrapper off but it just kind of flakes off because the wrapper doesn't really connect in all the right places sure. um but it i mean it does create a chocolate bar so it okay. seems like it figured out your intent but the quality of your drawing affected the quality of what it created sure Laura, uh, yes Laura it seems as though the it, magic like, yeah 
<laughs> well, I mean, it's chocolate. It's it's not exactly expensive. It it seems as though it reads the intention accurately, but if the drawing is inaccurate, that will affect the overall quality of the final product. Hmm. Um, I guess that is a nice middle ground between what we were um, possibly possibly expecting. Um, I, guess I mean, it's my, nice to know it works both ways. If we need to draw yes. a rough door, it doesn't matter who, but if we need to draw a convincing one, then we could, you know, conscript Riley to do it. Yes. I My thought is, um, I see that there's four separate pots of the, of the, the pigment in the case. Oh, yeah. Um, is there a way that we could divide this amongst uh, you, me, Bruiser, and uh, and and I almost said Cleo and Fox? <clears throat> I in in the realm of reality that I understand to be true, I don't see why not. Wink, wink, DM, wink, wink. We all get two fifty square feet. <laughs> I'll allow it. Unless. So to be clear, the pigments are meant to be multiple colors. So mm-hmm. um, like the pots of the pigment are multiple colors, I think. So by dividing them, what you're really doing, like it's still, oh no, it says each pot of paint. So each of you gets um, a thousand square feet of surface oh, to work cool. with um, and objects up to 10,000 cubic feet. Um, you can't make expensive stuff. Uh, if you try and yep. make something of a greater value than 25 gold pieces, it makes the object, but on close inspection, it reveals that it's made from like paper mache and glue. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but yeah, you could give each person a pot and they would, they would get the full, uh, 1000 square feet. Cool. Interesting. We'd just be drawing in monochrome. Yes. You would each be drawing in monochrome. Well, I, I don't see why we don't do that in that case, because you were correct, uh, Jeb, in your assumption that we all would have creative applications for the material. Yeah, there's there's not very many use cases where it wouldn't be useful. It's yeah. it's quite odd. <clears throat> so I agree with you. I, I, I think because of that, we, we may want to split this up. I do believe us. it's worth noting, says Laredith, that... One of the use cases you discussed was painting a replacement section of hull on the Cugboat. Um, mm-hmm. I don't believe that application would work, although it would be ideal to find K and check with him, because I believe that Kelnor's pigments require a surface to be painted onto in two dimensions, and then the thing that you paint becomes real, much like how you painted upon the table and then there was something on the table, or if you were to mm-hmm. paint a door into a wall. But I don't believe you could paint on, say, thin air and something new would materialize. Well, I guess in that well, in that case, we would draw the replacement piece on something else and then yes, that would move work. it over and then nail it. Yes, that's place. what I was thinking. Like if we if we drew it on the deck and then mounted it in place like to, as a patch or something to that effect. That would work. We could even draw the nails and hammer that we used to that is that is true into place. Yes, Alan's yeah. like imagining getting to not have to wear his tool belt ever again. He's back to like <laughs> just briefs because uh, it was boxers. Now it's briefs, like just briefs. Yep. <laughs> well, if you're if you're going to use it for something practical, I'm going to recommend you do not let Riley see it because I think she would want to use it all up for her creative exploits, and perhaps they would not be very practical. Well, this would this is uh, you know, company hoard, so not for recreational purposes. Mm. Um, I would hope I would hope Riley would understand that, but 
I guess that has yet to be proven. Artists gotta know. make their know. art, honey. If you're not a creative type, then you're not gonna understand. <laughs> uh, that that is fair. Um, is that was that the last of the items on your report? Oh, Jeff? let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Uh, da, 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 da. We got the gauntlets. Uh, we got the pearl. Uh, the thought medallion. We got the saxophone. The glaive. Potion of vitality. Universal solvent. Pigments and all that adamantine armor. Yeah, that's it. That's uh, that's all I got. But I mean, all in all, a pretty good haul. Yes. Uh, even uh, if. Yeah, even if most of it looks like it's probably going to benefit the crew. I mean, that's, you know, not a bad thing to bolster up the crew. Um, And then obviously, um, you know, before we went out into the strange, scary uh, ghost ship area, um, we distributed uh, some of my things like the charms of air bubble and cold resistance, etc. One thing we didn't touch on was a bunch of spell scrolls and a spell book. Or did we? Did I did I give those to you, Jeb? Um, I received two spells. Um, one was a mirror image, which should be nice defensive-wise for me. I was kind of like, uh, I can't wear any of this cool armor. Mirror image is going to be pretty great for me in that regard, though. Um, sure. And then there was um, another of the, one. Of the, of the stuff that I discussed um, before we left in, you know, and fought the Sorrow Sworn... Did I give you any of that stuff? I'm trying to remember. I I don't remember. I, I don't remember getting a spell book. I okay. remember finding a couple spells with that uh, library golem. Which, by the way, dang, did we should have did we pick up that library golem and bring him with us? Because he seems like he no, would be you did very not. useful to reprogram. We should go back and get him or something. Uh, <laughs> uh, a manual of clay golems actually was in the stuff that I found or oh. the report that I have on the ship. Um. In fact, here, uh, Alan's going to, uh, like... Pull up the original just, ship's manifest? Uh, he's just gonna, just gonna, um, show, like, show Jeb, uh, the, uh, the, his report that he got, and, and the real version of that is me sending the link to it <laughs> to <laughs> wash. Um, uh, we distributed the, all of the charms of air bubble and the potions of air bubble and the potions of cold resistance, etc. um... But uh, I I trust you to take a look at that spell book. Um, otherwise, you know, some of those spell scrolls we could either distribute among ourselves or into the company hoard or anything like that. Um, I love that uh, somehow your company accounts have become the company hoard. <coughs> I'm a big fan. I, yeah. I like that as well. DM. Yeah. Um, this eighth level control weather spell. Is that the same one that I have record of here? Um, or do we have two? You, uh, no, I think it's separate. I think you found a spell scroll in the, um, in the library boat. And I think this I was already on board your current yes, ship. Yes, this was already on board. Oh, nice. So we got two of them. Sweet. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> um, Clara is kind of like frowning to herself at the end of the table, like considering this strange world where people share things. <laughs> um, and she she pulls out of her apron a cipher of invisibility that was never used during the heist episode um, and slaps it on the table and is like, this might be more useful for someone else. You know, it's it, it behooves me in general to be seen. 
<laughs> that yeah, that is a that is a fair point. That tracks. Um, yeah. We thank you for your contribution. Yes, we will. We would not say that. We definitely would not say that. Oh, thanks, darling. Uh, Alan uh, will like slide, like you know, kind of push slide the uh, the cipher down to um, Fox. Uh, I think I think this this fits you the most. Yeah. All right. Cool. And Fox puts it in his pack where all things go to be lost. <laughs> Just yep. sticks it in his, in his bag. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Wait, you, you you haven't you need to reorganize that thing, man. Keep it at peak. Keep your pack in order. I'm really not up to arguing about this with you right now. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. There's some interesting things in here. With a loud, the wooden door to the kitchen swings open as Gunner backs out through it with a huge pot of soup in his hands. Right, I got some soup finished for everybody. Uh, is anyone is anyone hungry for soup? I know it's about lunchtime, and uh, Clara, I was expecting you to come in and take over, but uh, since you didn't, I just made the recipe I knew. And he's got on the same apron that he had on in the heist and everything, but <laughs> it's just a huge thing of soup, and he's got a giant ladle sticking out of it. He forgot bowls. You know, oh, I need to get bowls. Hang on. And he just... And like sets this giant pot of soup on the table between the four of you. I'll go. I'll go get bowls. I'll be right back. He walks <laughs> Al- out of there. Oh my uh, goodness! Al- what did you cook? And she sprints Al- to the kitchen to see if he's used <laughs> every ingredient or if they still have other food left. Alan will like peek over the edge of the the, the soup pot and kind of like raise an eyebrow and go, "Well, it at least looks well stirred." <laughs> Clara, yeah, it's not I, separating at all. You find that a few of the ingredients remain. <laughs> Gunner did not use everything up. We may need to use some of those magic-y pigment things, like, just to refill my stocks. Jake, on Gunner's uh, behalf, can you roll a performance uh, wisdom check <laughs> to see how good his, his soup is? Oh, I gotta pull up his character sheet to remember what his wisdom is. That's okay. Wash is uh, looking at a list anyway while we, while we meander through that. There we go. Here, I'll put Gunner oh, up there. isn't terrible. Um, Here's Gunner. Oh, he got a he got a middle of the road twelve. Nice. Uh, Gunner with his middle of the road twelve. So it's an average soup, Clara. You could yeah. do much better, of course, but. Well, it's not it's solid passable. this time. So that's an improvement. <laughs> can, can, I, can I have some of that soup for, <laughs> for my throat? <laughs> Gunner brings him a bowl. Right, of course, of course. Yeah, and I'll bring, I'll bring the soup over to him, you know. And he brings it over, sets it down in front of Fox, who just like downs it in one go. You asked a DM question. Whose spellbook is this? Can I like make an Arcana check to see if I can determine whose it is? Sure. I'm good at Arcana. Ooh, and that's a good roll. Ooh, that's a 17 on the die. So, uh, oh, and we leveled up. So that's yeah. a 20, uh, 31. <laughs> nice. 31. Dang. Uh, I'm as, plus 14 to Arcana now. As you have grown as a wizard, 
you have become a bit more studious. You've copied more spell scroll. You know, it's expanded beyond what it used to be, which is you kind of tinkering, right? You had your grandpa yeah. Cole's book and you had sort of an, uh, an engineering mind a little bit where it was like, Oh, well, if this one does that, maybe I could do it this way and it would do something different. And you've kind of branched out from that to now like, okay, what if I could build on other people's work? And so you, you are starting to recognize the, sort of personal signature that every wizard leaves on their own work. And you've been starting to realize that you'd leave your own personal signature on the spells that you cast and the way that they work. And so even though the spell book is not signed or perhaps the cover um, has worn away and, and kind of torn off in the poor conditions of that library where the, or of the, um, of the ship here where the spell book was found, you know, this was among the sort of debris and detritus that was left over after the shipwreck, this spell book. So you don't have an actual name on there, but you are starting to recognize that in addition to names, uh, there, there are also groups of wizards or orders of wizards who, if they study together, eventually become similar enough that they start to leave their own mark on their work. And this one, most notably, you, you don't get a name of the spellcaster, but you do get um, the sort of imprint or, or the sort of tendencies and like the script writing and some of the ways that they formally arrange their runes and, Oh, they use the formal case for that instead of the informal case. Mm -hmm. Uh, you pick out the identity of a powerful group of druids who, um, trained in the jungle of songs along with an order of wizards. And so as the two groups merge together, learning from each other and kind of creating this sort of unified, um, mm. guild or, or really college as it became, uh, it, it became a college in the, uh, in Ari Vale, which is near the jungle of songs. Um, it is from the Udell tribe of wizards, uh, and druids, and that's spelled U D E L the Udell tribe. Um, that you, you have found <laughs> that you Dell, that you Dell. Hmm. Yes. I, I, I also wasn't sure of the, the origin of that spell book. It's quite interesting. Do you need me to blow it up for you? I could, no, I could do no, it. I've got, no. I've got stuff I mean, right here. I could explode it. You do well at that. Yes. Um, I'm just kind of not really bummed, but like I, I, kind of wish I'd have had this sooner. There's a lot of really good stuff in here that I could transcribe, but as you know, man, everything, everything takes time. Everything takes mm -hmm. time. It's all about picking which one to focus on. The uh, constant struggle of the intelligent mind. Yeah. Yep. Yep. If only I had more time. Mm. Well, or more intelligence. That 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 no. is the uh, the constant give and take of, I guess maybe in some ways the way that you and I think about things, Jeb. Um, but um, either way, uh, do we know how much longer we have until we reach the pillars? Is that yeah? Do you we have uh, any yeah. sort of ETA on that? Uh, you've probably got an like it'll probably be today or tomorrow that you reach the pillars. Okay. That's why like this is something that probably keeps getting procrastinated on divvying out the the magic items. Yeah, and finally, sure, it's yeah. like the issue's been forced probably by Laredith, who's like y'all are gonna die uh, if yeah. you don't if you don't use the equipment available to you. And so you're in the next day or two, you should be arriving at the pillars. Uh, and actually, if you were to go and stand up on the upper decks, what you 
would see off in the distance is, you know, you've got stainless to your right, to the north of you. You've got the continent of Kotix to the left or south of you. And then directly ahead are the pillars of eternal vigil. And you're now close enough that you're beginning to appreciate the fact that these are pillars that are 30 miles by 30 miles. They are just massive in both directions. For reference, for those of you listening at home, that is five Mount Everest's tall uh, and one Mount Everest wide. So um, these pillars are gigantic and the mist that shrouds them at sea level reaches about half of a Mount Everest up. So about three miles up. Now the airship is, you know, using the thrusters to their full capacity. You are at the six mile altitude level. So the, the kind of mist that collects at the base of the towers and creates this untraversable or this, this unnavigable stretch of sea, uh, which is about, I would say 90 to 120 miles in diameter. That mist is not fully up here with you. You can see the the large kind of black stone towers as they stretch uh, vertically, but there are little wisps of it that kind of trail up. And so from time to time, depending on the weather and the temperature and stuff, sometimes it's tighter and sometimes it's looser. It seems like as you're approaching the tower, the towers that you're going to be hitting them in a bit of a cold front Um, or I'm sorry, in a bit of a warm front. And so you can expect the mist to kind of be spiraling up towards you and Mm. perhaps even get to the point where it starts to provide a little bit of concealment to you, but also maybe cause some challenges for you uh, if that mist begins to reach you. Ah, um, so assuming, assuming, you know, the, the, the bulk of the, the, you know, the meeting that we had below decks is, uh, is, is kind of done. Alan will um, go up to the, the, the upper deck um, and actually go to the, uh, like our, the, the, the converted spa that kind of became the war room uh, sort of area. Um, how come I can't see my character? I just moved him up there for you. If you zoom out, you'll see okay. him. He'll appear there. Uh, no, I have like vision blockage. How about now? There it is. Now I can see him. Cool. Fixed it. Uh, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> Never happened. Um, no, it's okay. Uh, Alan will will spend some time in there, and he he will um, spend probably the rest of the day, unless he's called upon, to continue to like. He wants to spend some time just to specifically, um, like, look at these or think like think on and calculate these uh, air currents that he's heard about um, around the pillars and try to essentially calculate the spot that they should try to beeline towards mm. to where the most likely spot where um if k's airship was there like where would k be adrift that makes sense like trying trying to do some like navigational math um to try to estimate that spot that makes sense laredith is going to go back to her workshop in the aft storage compartment of the lowest deck of the ship jeb what are you doing the last day Hmm. I'm thinking I may just spend the day transcribing spells because there's a couple in here that could be really useful. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that. 
Fox's cold does not seem to get any better, and so he's going to spend the time in bed. Clara, what are you up to over the course of the last day? Have we fully scavenged the ship? Yes. Are there any uncovered corners? Okay. Um, Well, then Clara will probably do some inventorying of the kitchen and meal prepping for the next few days and just get, get things... Um, get some rations prepared for everybody. Especially if they're planning to climb the towers. That totally makes yeah, sense. pack uh, things up so that they have have some food that can be sustained for a few days without storage. And Yeah. Uh, Gunner's probably in there helping as well. It, it takes her about twice as long to do these things when Gunner is present. <laughs> so she's... Gunner's she's trying, trying to, to learn, okay? He's, he wants to learn a new skill. <laughs> We all start somewhere, but you know, sometimes, sometimes when, when your instinct is to destroy, maybe, maybe yeah, it's you just don't weird. belong in the kitchen. It's just weird for me putting ingredients together and mixing it all up in a way where it's supposed to like make something instead of, you know, like normally I unmake things. Well, if you think about the burritos, there is some explosive properties. Right. Right. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Right. <laughs> She's gonna get him working on the burritos. Sure. So Gunner's got like a big, you know, a big wide surface, and he's just rolling burritos. Um. Okay. You've got a uh, Zopf and Mockery on lookout duty as the rest of you are going about going about your business. Um. Did we say what Jeb is doing? We talked to Jeb, right? Transcribing. That's spells. right. Transcribing spells. Yeah. So Alan, uh, you're on the the upper deck. And at this point, you're probably half a day's journey from the Pillars of Eternal Vigil. Uh, and Mockery kind of walks in. She's been on lookout duty um, up on top of the old spa in the nest. And so she walks in and she just kind of leans back in one of the chairs. She's just taking like a five-minute break or whatever. She lights a quick cigar, leans back, kind of kicks her feet up on the table, uh, making sure not to block the part of the the charts you're using. And she goes, so... Oh, do you think this is going to work? Like, really? I, that is, uh, that is an interesting question. Um, because my, I guess my knee-jerk response is that it has to. Um, but I guess that doesn't mean, that's not exactly a direct answer to what you asked. Um, yeah, I want to know if you think that it's going to work. I know you're going to do it. I just don't know if it's going to work out, you know? And maybe yes, it's, it's uh, not. Maybe we shouldn't do it. I just don't know if anyone's actually considered this is that possibility. That That is an interesting possibility. I guess um, the way that I thought, have been thinking about it, and I guess the, the way that was very present in the forefront of my mind when we, when we left Gaim is that if we don't try then I don't think there's a chance that that the world exists in the same way that it ever has um, I think that it's almost impossible or I need to I need to stop myself from thinking that it won't work because if I do then what's the point? I have to think that this will work in order for me to even have any sort of motivation 
to look at this map to even think about the possibility of finding K. Hell, if we don't find K, then I I I do not know. <laughs> Alan like just like holds is holding this map and then he just like sets it down on the table as if he's like realizing it for the first time. I if we don't find K, then I don't know what I'll do. I don't Alan like kind of like stands up from his chair. I I li- literally like in in without the slightest hint of metaphor or exaggeration, I literally do not know what I will do if we can't find K. So So I don't know. I don't know if this will work. Is You keep talking about go back to the way things were. But it's been three years. Is that necessarily like is that the best thing to go back? You know. I I don't know these answers. I've been on the mountain for most of this time. Uh but on that mountain we talk a lot about trying to balance you know the virtues of of considering the right outcome and the cost of inaction and so we 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 talk about how important it is to be prudent when we make big decisions big uh sort of how you say life altering decisions and it seems like this is the kind of thing that would alter a lot of lives and Maybe they've already been altered and they've found a way. Maybe it's not best to, you know, to, to put them back how they were. Maybe, maybe people are resilient. Maybe they find a solution for themselves and now we, we risk taking that away from them. I, I see, I see what you're saying. Um, and and I think the reason why um, taking things to the back to how they were um, kind of came out of me there is when after the darkening, I found magic to be just one of the most interesting subjects and forces in the history of Urda. And the reason why I left Stainless um, and even ran into Jeb and Fox and any kind of pauses and and Zothka is because I wanted to find out why the magic was gone and try to... And it was a crazy idea then and it still is now, even though we might be able to. Um, bring the magic back. Um, but I think you're right that, you know, in three years, a lot of things have changed. And I don't think if we succeed, we're necessarily taking things back to how they were. And I think I understand that now. Um, but hopefully what we'll be doing is bringing things back to the right balance um, balance of what? A balance of the good things that magic can bring and also the good things that 
innovation and technology can bring. I, I don't think that some of these things that the Aboleths have created or their cronies have created are necessarily inherently bad. Um, we utilize them a lot ourselves. Um, it's more the the method in which they were created. Um, you know, taking away a force from the world that should be democratized, should have people should have access to. And I mean, Jeb's whole reason for doing this um, is because the weave is important for the afterlife and moving on to different planes of existences. And without that, it's just it's just important to him and to me or us by extension that we restore that. So, no, I don't think it'll be taking things back to the way they were, but I think it, to me, it's pretty obvious that what the Aboliths are doing is a net bad for people. But if we're able to stop them, then maybe some of the things that they have created that aren't so bad can find a way to integrate into everyone's lives. Um, but without the danger of taking magic away in its natural form, if that makes sense. Hmm. It's a good mission, boss. I hope we live to see it. Thank you. I... She... I hope so, too. Tosses her cigar on the ground, pulls her feet off the table, her sort of uh, monk boots, you know, her mountain hiking boots, stomping out the little ember as she clops back across the wood uh, out through the door, climbs back up into the nest, and you kind of hear the wood creak a little bit as she sits back into her normal position uh, on the aft castle of the cook boat, kind of keeping a lookout. Uh, keeping a lookout is becoming less and less useful as you approach the Pillars of Eternal Vigil. The uh, rising warm air um, from the lower levels bringing the mist up is impacting the colder air of the upper atmosphere and condensing to create snow clouds. And so even though it is nearing the end of summer, you're beginning to approach little wispy white clouds that are getting denser and denser as the boat gets closer and closer to them. Um, Wash, how is Jeb's transcription going as he works maybe by himself on the cafeteria table uh, with Gunner occasionally bringing him a burrito to keep him sustained? It's going well. Um, one of the spell scrolls, the spell scroll of guards and wards has been consumed in the process of adding it to his spell book. Um, and then the other one, he's still working to transfer from the... Uh, from the spell book. Um, but as he's been working on this, um, he's pulled a lieutenant. Let's say, uh, you know what? How did, how did our, uh, oh, what's his name? Who? I want to say Ron, but I don't think that's right. Ronald the intern. Uh, yeah, I was right. Yeah. How is how is Ronald the intern, the middle manager, the intern, um, <laughs> been faring? Ronald the in middle reputation manager, the these intern. days. Uh, Ronald the middle manager, the intern, 
uh, is somewhere in the lower level of the ship, probably in uh, one of the bunk rooms that has been kind of retro. You know, he's still just an intern middle manager intern. So he works (laughs) in his bunk room as well. You know, he's got a little desk that's been crammed into the corner uh, where he's got like a little inkwell and his different parchments that he can, he can keep notes on and stuff. And he's been setting employee schedules and things under Yaz careful eye of supervision, making sure that, you know, the different shifts on board the Cugboat get handed out where they need to. Um, if there's any kind of disciplinary actions that are, you know, not super, uh, serious, then yeah, we'll delegate them to Ronald to give him the experience. Um, and he also has in his closet, like next to his three identical company outfits, there's also a small scroll case filled with letters of recommendation that yeah, has been writing him like updated letters Mm. of recommendation that he gets over time. So that if he ever is ready to like jump out into the world and apply for a job in the big city, he's got his little recommendation letters and he's got a resume that's got like, it's like covered in red ink. Like he keeps crossing things out and changing what things are and trying to write them in a way that's more advantageous to his image and whatever that's sitting in there, but he spends most of his time in there unless he's coming out for food. Uh, he's just, you know, constantly at his desk, a little bit like Percy Weasley in the later Harry Potter mm-hmm. books where he mm-hmm. like just gets so excited about his sort of nothing job. Um, he's kind of like that. He's like closeted away. Like I'm going to get these reports done for yeah early because I need to, you know, he's just like always, he's always on his game. Um, and that yeah. is where, where Ronald is and what he's up to. So are you saying you're going to pull him out? Yeah, I'm going, well, I'm going to like, uh, like, foot his door like his door is like cracked open i'm gonna like push it open with my foot uh i'm not gonna make eye contact i'm gonna do the boss thing where i'm like looking in my book still writing and scribbling and stuff but i'm gonna walk in and say hey ronald uh you got a second there champ uh ronald is like huh what uh yes of, of course i do uh sir mr sir peppermint sir Hey, I, uh, I am in, I, I think I may have a mission for you. If you're feeling, a mission? I, yeah, I'm, I'm available. I'm ready for it. I'm ready. Let's do it. I need to make sure that you, like, uh, you know, need an honest take from you though. Okay. On, uh, if you think you can accomplish this, I need, uh, it, it appears that one of our operations is in dire need of some gemstones. Are you aware of any caches or that that we could pilfer from the enemy or like any allies that we could trade with for a copious amount of gemstones? Gemstones. Let me see here. Let me have a look through my register and you see he's got like a we need rubies. He's got like an old school Rolodex of um, like names and stuff sitting on his desk. Mm-hmm. So he's like flipping through little, ta- you know, wooden tablets with the names etched into them. He's kind of flip, 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 flip. Let's see here. Let's see here. Let's see here. Let's see here. So it's difficult because obviously with the, with the war effort and the refugee situation, you know, it's I difficult to get in to touch with different people. I just want to know if you people. have the possibility. So let me see. Do, 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 do. Well, I mean, of course I there are a couple of different. solutions, not problems, well, Ronald. the bazaar in the, in, in Udril, the bazaar outside of Clan Tructa's holdings had all sorts oh, yeah. of uh, fancy wares. So that would be a place you could go for them but of course naturally that bazaar is probably closed at this stage in time since Udril is in a uh, state of occupation and warfare uh, last I heard from our reports the resistance over there was still like kind of fa- fighting and whatever so it's still kind of a dangerous place to be right now uh, another place that you could trade for gems likely would be uh, are you familiar with a merchant named Duffin uh, he carries a lot of I uh, am. goods there's on nothing his Duffin can't get you that's right there's nothing Duffin can't get you and so I feel confident that if we could find Duffin uh, we 
would be able to uh, see if he had such things in his inventory. Um, I, he kind of travels all over the world. So depending on, you know, if we're lucky and maybe if the dice roll in our favor, <laughs> so to speak, uh, we could uh, come across Duffin somewhere else. Um, so that's a possibility. Um, let's see here. What else could we do? So I know that there's a, uh, a precious stones mine uh, outside of Tumbleweb, uh, among the other things that are refined in Tumbleweb, uh, you know, the various precious stones find their way uh, into, into uh, Tumbleweb. Um, you could also, so um, you could always, you know, go go foraging on your own. There's plenty of un, untapped territory on the continent of Kotix. Uh, there, we don't really have any information about many settlements there. Just the one Druidic college uh, down at the southern tip of Kotix. So you could always go to that continent and see what you could find in, you know, your own mining expeditions, or perhaps send somebody to mine on your behalf. Um, and those, those are, those are, and he finishes flipping through the big, you know, line of, of slates on his Rolodex. Those are all of the options that I seem to have, um, uh, available. What about, uh, what about rust free? Rust free? Interesting. Let's see. So that would rust be relatively free, close. Rust free. Now the city is stainless, um, stainless, stainless. Yeah. Is, sorry about that. Stainless would be a, a, would be a possibility. Stainless has been quite built up, uh, and so I think you're you're not as likely to find. Oh, I wasn't thinking. No, I wasn't there, thinking but stainless. But it would be possible in their underworld to find. I'm sure there are there are ways in there. There's a thriving criminal underworld uh, in stainless, mm. though. Of course, mm. they're finding it a little bit difficult to to grow and thrive because there's a lot of attention being placed on that underworld since, uh, well, our recent operations there. Um, yeah. But you know, a lot of rhetoric about cleaning up the streets, literally, and so forth. So um, it would be harder. But you could maybe look into, you know, I'm sure. Uh, an organization like the vaults would have access to all kinds of precious stones. If you could, are you aware share. of, uh, of any rubies being a part of the mermaid culture? No, I believe emeralds are the, the preferred precious stone in the city of Nottery. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Let's see. We wouldn't happen to have any contacts on like the last location of Duffin, would we? Uh, the last time we heard about Duffin was, and he starts flipping through uh, pages and pages of reports from the the lookouts. Once these reports go through Fox and possibly a meeting with all of you, they wind up on Ronald's desk to be filed somewhere. And so he, you know, he's flipping through all the reports of the lookouts. Um, he says the last time that we heard about them was from Alan in his after action report on his adventure to try and recover do Bumblefoot. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that was out by uh, No Stone in the yes. desert out there. Yes, in the southeast. Um, okay. But that Duffin, wasn't too long ago. Right, and Duffin at that time appeared to be traveling west, according to Alan's report. Right, so could, I mean, if he kept going due west, I don't recall hearing anything about him from when we were in Gaim, um, which means he could have continued going further west, which would have brought him settlement wise to stainless or I don't know. Athamont's a good bit further West of there. There's not that much more except for like, I don't know, directly underneath where we are currently right now. We're almost to the pillars. Um, yes, I suppose it's possible. Would you like me to write up a report for you based on where he was seen, where he might be going? No, no. What I would like you to do is mm -hmm. I would like you to put together a team 
Um, and I would like you to see if you can find him and do one of two things. I would like you to either see if you can acquire, I don't know what the, the wingle digit conversion is. I'm sure you could take care of the numbers on that, but I need about 1500 gold worth of Ruby. doesn't matter if it's a big one or a bunch of little ones. Um, but I need about 1500 gold worth of Ruby. Um, so either a, if you can acquire that from him, um, we can either trade from, you know, some maybe some of that adamantine armor in the horde, or if we have the wingle digits to cover it, or if you could persuade him to join our cause so that we could gain access to those rubies that way. How many employees am I allowed to take on this, this mission? He um, pulls a quell from say, behind his his ear. I would say a a middle manager of your status could probably handle a team of, I would say two to three, so three to four in total, including yourself. Okay, uh, should I take Joffrey with me? He seems to be the strongest financial mind at the company. No, no. He is currently on janitor duty for a reason. Are you saying there's there's like an opening appearing in the in the upper levels of the company right now? There's always me? upward mobility in this company, so you know, do your best. Do yeah, your best. You but, probably you know. but right now I'm not talking about upward mobility. I'm talking about are you saying there's are you saying any he scooches his rolling chair? He's the only person on the whole cockboat with a rolling chair. He rolls it closer to you. Are you are you saying there's an opening at the top right now? Are you telling me that if I do this mission and I like nail it, that there's an opportunity for me in the leadership level of this company? And I'll, I'll like get in really close and I'll say, it won't hurt your chances. <laughs> there is a non-zero percent chance that it will increase your odds. <laughs> He looks a little confused as he tries to do the math in his head. So carry the zero. Take out the. Yeah. yeah. Keep zeros, doing it. Kids. No way. Oh, okay. Okay. We're, we're going to do this. I mean, I'll take Rex and Sasha and we'll. That sounds great. Okay, cool. I'll, t- I'll take Rex and Sasha and do, do I get to like, you know what? Do I get to tell uh, them they were chosen for a mission? Like, do I get to do the, like, like, Oh yeah, you're gonna you're gonna fully debrief. You can take Rex okay. and Sasha out. Take FP with you too. Oh, briefs. Have you tried them too? I really like them. I think they're a really good uh, next step I, as far as clothing clothing goes. Have you? Fur is a dry lubricant. I do not need undergarments. Oh, but you were saying about about briefing. Now, now, come on. You're on a roll. Don't don't blow it now. You know what I'm talking about. You're gonna present the present the mission to them. You're okay. You're going to take this thing from A to Z, right? Right. So you, you got all the notes, right? 1,500 gold worth 15, of rubies. 1,500 gold worth of rubies. I'll let you do the conversion in, mm-hmm. in uh, wingle digits. Yep. And then mission, like, priority one is to get Duffin to come with us so that we have access to those rubies. Or, right. you know, secondary, if you can't do that, then come back with the rubies. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I can do it. I can do it. I can do that. I I, and, I got it. I got remember, it. Okay. Remember. Oh, okay. Remember. Remember. Time is of the essence. Time is of the essence. Got it. Got it. 
got it. You got it. Work I won't even with, write uh, a report before we leave. I'll just go get them and we'll go. I'll work just with no, no work with bruiser. Okay. And I want you to coordinate a rendezvous point where the, uh, where the cug boat's going to pick you up. We're going to stop at the pillars of eternal vigil vigil. We're going to be going on our own away mission. Then the ship can drop you off where you need to. You can scan from there, but you, we need a rendezvous point to pick you up. Um, because how else you're going to get back here unless you got like a dragon L or something like that. Okay. Um, okay, great. And you hear the voice of the DM in the next, in the next question he's asking. So he, so you're suggesting that we'll, we'll dock at the pillars of eternal vigil or whatever, like you'll get off and then the ship will take me Rex and Sasha somewhere. And then the ship will probably go back to get you when your away mission is done. And then it'll come back to get me and my crew. Yes. All yeah. right. Which, which team? However you want to configure that. We can drop you off now and pick you up later or vice versa, whatever. But make sure there's a rendezvous point because we need to come back and pick you up. Roger that. Yep, yep. Okay, yeah. Good job, Ronald. Keep up the good work. Uh, don't blow it again. This is your second <laughs> chance. Remember, we believe in second chances here at Four Guys. Ronald, um, Ronald's like, know, yeah, yeah, I, w- I won't let you down. I won't let you down, Dad. I mean, Jeb, Mister Peppermint, sir. And then <laughs> yeah, he runs yeah. out, runs out through the door, and rushes off towards the cockpit to talk to Bruiser. Yeah, he's a good kid. He's a good kid. <laughs> I like to picture that during that whole very serious um, conversation, Jeb is like sitting in a chair with his little feet kicking because they don't touch the ground. And then Ronald, every time the <laughs> ship moves, his chair rolls a little bit, like side to side. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about having a rolling chair on like essentially an airplane. That's hilarious. I was picturing because Jeb is so short, Ronald is sitting in this chair and then he leans over to be conspiratorial, but he has to literally lean over. So he's like folded in half at the waist, like leaning down near like his head's near his knees, listening to Jeb. Nice. Jeb is hard to look up to. Uh, and yet That's so true. easy to look up to. Right. Um, Perfect. So Jeb, you have this conversation with Ronald as the final day of travel nears a close as night falls over the, the cug boat airship. Everyone gets a full night's rest and I roll the first tension die of the session. No, as, uh, your rest ends and you begin waking on the morning when you will enter the mist. It's been maybe 30 minutes. You're still probably in your bunks. Um, so how, Jeb, I'll how put did, in the bunk room here. Yeah. Did Alan's, uh, day of calculations and attempted, uh, prediction of navigation. Did that give us any bonus in finding where we need to go or mm. was that all flavor? Uh, did you roll? <laughs> did I have you roll? No, you didn't. Okay. Roll, uh, roll a survival check with advantage because you're using the charts, uh, and your calculations. Okay. Um, and just for clarity, Jeb has grabbed some magic items from the cache too. He has grabbed the, the rope, if it is still available. (coughs) Yes, I believe it is available. Um, the rope of climbing. He has taken the manual of clay golems and he has donned the cloak of the manta ray. If it is still in there. Sure. Is that over his leather duster or is it instead of his leather duster? It is over his leather duster. Great. Um, how, um, how is he stowing all the other things in his pack? Okay. He's got room for the it. rope can probably swap out with the normal rope in an adventurer's pack. Cool. Yeah. We, and he's uh, got it like cinched to his side. We, did we, did we decide that it's been a lunar cycle? Uh, since it's been uh, a month. 
or like mind. it was 60 days. It was 62 days getting long... to the last boat thing. And then okay. six, well now seven days since then. So yes, it's been a lunar cycle. <laughs> okay. Uh, if this is, if this is a bridge too far, Josh, let me know. I also have a compromise idea. If, <laughs> if, uh, if, the, if you won't let me, um, I totally entirely meant for, and didn't just think of right now, for Alan to summon counsel from the rod after his conversation with mockery, uh, summer summon counsel, uh, with the intelligence rod, um, to ask for guidance on what, uh, what is the best strategy for getting to Kalnor's, uh, or yeah, Kay's, um, lost ship in the quickest amount of time. Oh, so smart. Alan. So smart. So smart. As mockeries, uh, footsteps on the ladder climbing back up to the aft castle fade and as the wood creaks as she kind of gets back in her casual position of kind of seated watch uh, Alan you take the rod in your hands and you do I don't know what if there's some kind of like ritual Alan goes through when he asks a question um, as far as like how he, he channels himself into that, that place um, Alan takes the rod out um sets it on the navigation chart um and just like sits puts puts uh, a hand on his you know rests his head in, on it or rests his chin on his hand and um just like closes his eyes with uh his other hand on the rod and it, he just he's just deeply concentrating <laughs> on running the calculations again um but this he's time he's the thinker yeah, exactly. But this time hoping to uh, gain aid um, from the room. Okay. Uh, Alan, the room around you remains the same but fades from your perception. The sound of the wind rushing by the windows of the old spa begins to fade to a dull roar and then eventually to nothing. The glow of the torchlight that has been dimly flickering slowly stabilizes and goes from that warm orange to the cool bluish white of the the hall that always seems to appear whenever you summon counsel from the rod of intelligence a great sprawling atrium of some kind uh perhaps it's round perhaps it's square it's hard to tell you can't quite see to the walls uh a, a kind of generic rolling mist sort of swirls around this gathering place and before you seated on the ground on a little square of rug is a young child a monk with a shaved head and a robe that they wear the child looks up at you and says hello again is there a question you wish to ask hello uh, yes, I do wish to ask this question. Um, what is the most efficient route or method to find K's adrift ship in the Pillars of Eternal Vigil? You know the rules as the f- image flickers between different constructs and humans and elves and different creatures of, of history. We cannot give you information about something from an era that we were not part of. However, there are facets of your question that I believe are more generally applicable as an orc kind of commander steps forward. 
he's now standing and the rug is gone. There's a table between you and the charts that you were looking at are sitting on the table. Now, I don't know anything about this land, this territory, these weather patterns, but when I'm conducting a search for somebody, I always try and be methodical about it. And then he kind of flickers out of, um, out of his position and a dwarf uh, woman steps into the place where he was. And when I'm trying to do more methodical searches for things, I always find that it's best to eliminate more options than it is to try and add options to my list of what to consider. So when I'm looking at it, I think, where could they not be? You know what I'm saying? Are there things that could rule out some of your options here? Because it looks to me like you've got three big choices before you looking at that. You've got these three big marks, whatever they are on your map, and then everything kind of swirls around that. And so it seems like you need to figure out which of those you're going to before you figure out how to get there. And all of a sudden, standing in front of you, hands on hips, is a, a an elderly ranger who, you know, bow slung across his back, quiver full of arrows. He's got his well-worn hunting moccasins on, uh, and he's just kind of standing there looking at it. And he goes, you can't, you can't figure out how to navigate the woods until you know where the summit is, right? So what you really need to do is rule out some of these other structures until you figure out the one you're trying to get to. And then I'm, I'm assuming this misty stuff, this is the stuff you were having trouble navigating, right? So like your question also is kind of like, how do I get through the mist? Now, I don't know what the mist is going to do to you when you try and navigate, but I know that there are some things that are typically constants like a compass uh, where, you know, compass always points north. And so you could always use that. If you've got a view of the stars, you could navigate by the stars, kind of flickers out of uh, position and in front of you seated on the rug like before is a merchant who has um, a big map of trade routes in front of him. He says, but honestly, the easiest way to do to find anything is to just figure out how someone else got there and follow in their footsteps. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't be the first person who's ever wanted to go to wherever it is you're trying to go to. Can you? And as the question kind of rings out over you, everything kind of begins to fade and you find yourself seated back uh, with the orange flickering light, the sound of the wind returning to your ears, Mockery's footsteps as she kind of paces absently on the uh, ceiling of the aft castle, kind of echoing back down to you. Um, Alan has had an idea sparked from that, and he would like to go ask Bruiser whether it's feasible. Um, so he's going to go to the cockpit, assuming Bruiser is there. Sure. Uh, Alan crosses over here towards the cockpit and he does find bruiser just chilling in the cockpit bruiser navigating. He's, um, he's, he's, you know, as you're approaching, what's probably a difficult to navigate area. He's like, he's determined that he's going to be the one who's flying for this next Mm set. Uh, doesn't want any scratches or weirdness kind of messing him up so far. The instruments on his, uh, for lack of a better word, dashboard, right? It's just kind of a podium with dials and Mm -hmm. things on it. But, uh, all the, all the instruments or the measurements on there seem pretty normal and he seems to be flying successfully. You come in and he goes, Oh, Hey man, how's it going? Hey, um, it's, it's going well. Uh, I was considering our, uh, you know, upcoming, yeah, man, navigational, navigational potential troubles. Um, and I, I summoned counsel from the intelligence rod, and it wasn't 
quite as clear as it has been in the past, but I it it gave me an idea, and I would like to run it by you, and you can tell me if it's kind of a crazy idea that we should not do, or whether it's something that's worth trying. Okay. Um, so, when Kay's airship got here, I would have assumed that Kay or Kay's crew would have tried to essentially dock themselves to the first pillar that they got close enough to dock to. Um, that would be what I would do in that case to keep from continuing to drift. Um, sure thing, man. That makes sense. So, as I said, tell me if this is unreasonable. What if as soon as we entered the wind stream of this weather pattern around the pillars we cut the engines and let the momentum carry us to whichever pillar it carries us to and then dock there and potentially if the weather pattern has stayed consistent throughout time we've then encountered whichever pillar k is docked to as well it makes sense to me man just trying to ride the ride the same waves that he did because he was so actually you know what i'm not even the right person to get in his head hang on and bruiser leans over to the little intercom unit on the ship and he says hey radford are you around can you come up to the cockpit for a second sure thing be there thanks second uh and sure enough it doesn't take long for radford the white uh, dragonborn monk to fully create a crowded circumstance here in the cockpit as the three <laughs> of you fill all the unoccupied space. Um, and Bruiser kind of relays the question to Radford and says, is that what you think Kay would have done? Like, is that how it probably would have gone? And then Bruiser goes back to flying and you two can continue the conversation. Hmm. This is an interesting concept. I mean, it, it stands to reason that you'd be kind of emulating what, uh, what Kay would have done. Do. Hmm. That's really smart, Alan. I think it's a really smart idea. Uh, thank you. It, it wasn't entirely mine. It was inspired by, uh, you know, and then Alan like taps the rod on the slot on his, um, the rod has like a pocket on his, uh, suspenders that hold up his tool belt. <laughs> um, and he kind of taps it. Yeah. So the rod is a foot long. Are you sure that's going to fit in a pocket? It's a foot long? Yeah. Uh, it's, a, Each it's, one a, is a, it's a it's a it's a long pocket. <laughs> the full length of the suspender. It's like, <laughs> like, well, it's like holes a mag, are... a mag light flashlight. I get you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. like an umbrella, like a little umbrella holder. Yeah, yeah it has Everyone like a rushed to Alan's defense. Okay, over. I'm yeah. convinced. Has, <laughs> has Alan made like a little clip on like uh almost like a like a pen clip? Just like clip to the top of it so that when he sticks the rod in, it's got like the little clip that it pokes sticks, out. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. like a yeah, giant really. pocket protector for a guy who doesn't wear a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm exactly. on board. Um, it, it's so the rod doesn't go down into the pocket and then he has to like fish it out with his fingers. Yeah, because like, you hate yeah, having yeah. to do that. You hate yeah, that. Yeah. Like, oh, you got to push up on the bottom. That's uncomfortable. Yeah. And then if you like, because they're suspenders, like if he does it too weird, like his briefs kind of ride up and yeah. that's a whole thing. Yeah. Which, yeah. You don't want to mess with yeah, that. You don't want upward motion. Yeah. No. Um, um, and Bruiser says, well, definitely, man, we can, we can do that. We can, we can do that. And I'll still have some like, you know, we'll shut the thrusters off or basically kind of put them just vertical so that we stay as high as we are. Cause we want to try not to lose any altitude if we mm-hmm. can. Yes. Um, and there's still a chance that we're going to hit that mist, but it's going to be tough. 
you know, if we fall into that mist, then we're going to be really in, in tough situation, but it might still climb up to us. Even if we fall into the mist, do you feel as though with the navigational instruments we have on board that if we needed to, we could try to make a rapid escape? I'm rolling on Bruiser's behalf to see how he feels. Ah, dude, I can fly anything. Perfect. In that case, I mean, it'd just be a matter of going up, right? Well, Well, that's fair. Yeah, sure. Um, (laughs) So in that case, um, I say, let's go with that. And uh, I'll, uh, I'm going to get some rest and try to attune to these. And Alan will tap his new uh, uh, gauntlets of, of ogre Mm. strength. And, uh, and that looks fancy. The first nice. flurries of snow begin to swirl and hit the the sort of bubble windshield thing that sticks at the front of the cugboat. And Bruiser says, good timing because we're about to head into the mists. And um, Alan, you head off to, to do your attunement and the cugboat enters the mists surrounding the pillars of eternal vigil the mists tm these massive three pillars at 30 miles wide at this stage when you see them through the snow they're all you see it's just a huge like as far as the eye can see sideways as far as the eye can see vertically and as bruiser lets the shift the ship become adrift in the currents that swirl around them you don't even know which one you're looking at necessarily at any given time i'm gonna roll a tension die here as the uh, as the cugboat begins just swirling at random. Uh, well, go ahead. Wouldn't Bruiser be paying attention to the instrumentation? He's watching the instrumentation, and it says you're going in a straight line. Gotcha. Uh, and so as far as Bruiser knows from the instruments, that's what you're doing. And yet it's, you don't really have the visibility outside to know. To confirm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the first two hours go by, which is enough time for Alan to try attuning to two things, I believe, or just to attune to them. So, Alan, you've attuned to both. Are you doing two magical items or just one? Just one. I'm swapping out my old bracers of defense for my new uh, Got it. gauntlets of overstrength. Otherwise, he's keeping the scimitar of speed and not switching to the glaive. Got it. Fox also attunes to the saxophone uh, in... in somewhere in the time between your last conversation but as he's not feeling any better he's still not playing any any music on it yet he hasn't given it a shot um as the i'll be attuning to the pearl of power great as the hours pass three then four then five in the swirling snowy clouds you begin to feel a sense of disorientation even within the cugboat. um you, you feel like even when you're trying to figure out how to get from one room to the next, you feel like you're always kind of thinking through your mental map at a disadvantage and it becomes very difficult to orient yourself. You get brief flashes of vertigo followed by um, flashes of f- like feeling like you're falling. Um, and it, it's just this weird kind of mesh of, of mental disorientation or discombobulation. Um, you, where would you go during those kinds of feelings? Like, would you want to be on the open deck? Would you want to be in a certain room in the cugboat? Where would you be as Bruiser is trying to let the ship follow the currents? Um, Alan would probably go to the open deck. Okay. Um, just because Alan, once he's attuned, he's just like, I, I'm the one who kind of, uh, put us in this risky position of like letting us just drift in the mists. So I want to be, 
that I don't I don't want to be like cowering in my room. I want to be like there. Sure. Like there, you know, I want to be one of the first people to see if anything goes wrong Got or it. if we, you know, see what we need to see and find what we need to find. With a bruiser in the cockpit, um, Mockery is going to station herself in the nest on top of the old spa and send Zopf to the rear balcony, which juts out um, at a lower point of the ship so that if something were to come up from beneath or above you, they should both have um, have a, a chance of spotting it, even if it's just at the last minute. Um, and giving you warning, Alan, you're standing on the deck. What's Jeb up to at this stage? Uh, Jeb, after hearing this whole plan and everything is going to stick by Alan's side. Okay. Um, I think that that was really smart consulting the rod. Um, I'm going to do the same. Mine is a little bit more immediate in its revelations and, and so I think it's like with the paramount of how important this is, I think it's probably important that we see if this will actually find K. Yes, I'm going to invoke I'm going to invoke the luck of the agents. Ancients. Sure. Um so they are going to hopefully tell me uh how the immediate results of this course of action are most likely to be. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what, is there any kind of ritual that Jeb likes to go through or would want to go through in the future as he activates this ability? All that's necessary is that you're holding the rod and concentrating on it. So it's just, is there a process Jeb goes through? I think he, uh, like the, the rod of luck is the spear point, correct? Yes. If I'm remembering correctly. It is. I think he's going to, uh, like bend over and scratch a little circle in the in the deck you know not not like too deep but just like you know scrape a little a little circle and then toss his dice into it cool and see how they fall jeb uh draws a little circle which because of the nature of the current situation is not just in the deck of the ship it also appears very like it's very contrasty dark wood beneath white snow as you brush flurries away Mm. Uh, and so it's a really clearly defined circle with just a little bit of that white kind of powdery snow or, or, uh, flurries kind of settled inside it just enough to coat the wooden deck, but you can still kind of get a sense that it's, it's melting quickly at this stage. And Jeb, you know, takes his dice, shakes them up, rolls them, rolls them and says diamond eyes and snaps his fingers. As you snap your fingers, uh, you feel your consciousness being drawn out of your body and into the dice. And so as the dice land with what to you is this big reverberating wooden, like on the, the deck of the ship, you are sucked into that moment and find yourself now seated on one of those dice and sitting opposite you seated on the other dice is, um, someone, no one, a sort of blurry figure with uh, possibilities shearing off of them in every direction. And so as they sit there, you see all the different ways they could stand up and leave all the different things they could do. And yet uh, whoever this kind of generic small humanoid figure is, you're able to make eye contact with them. And so they're looking at you and they seem to be expectant. They seem to be waiting to be presented with something. Our goal is to find K. And our current path is to follow the winds and hopefully walk in his steps, to follow the steps of the path 
that his ship took previously. If we do this, is it likely that we find him? The creature tips its head to think, and you watch as the possibilities shearing off of it become less and less until there's only one, and the creature stands up, um, still sitting in front of you, but the, this possibility that becomes the only remaining possibility is the creature stands and begins walking away from you through the snow, which from this scale, this size, is gigantic. And the footprints appearing in the snow as it walks away um, begin to widen until again your consciousness is brought from this area into a new one. And now you are isolated, floating in a swirling mist of snow, and in front of you, you see the cugboat as it continues on its trail, completely silent, thrusters shut off, um, steering just by the giant wind rudder that sticks out from beneath the rear balcony as it kind of lists to one side and makes a turn. Flurries kind of knocked out of the way as it goes by. You see mist swirling up from beneath. The mist comes up and envelops the cugboat. And um, from your perspective, all movement stops. The cugboat sits still. Still snow is flying across all of it. Um, and then you see another ship pass it with a string of uh, lights kind of anchored to the mast of this ship. It's big wind sails catching the breeze, and it goes into the same place where the cugboat is. And the two of them merge and then time opens up again and they both begin sailing forwards overlaid on top of each other. Um, almost like if you were able to see into the ethereal and the material plane at the same time. You're watching these two ships that kind of phase through one another as they begin following the wind currents. And eventually, they, the first ship pulls ahead just a little bit and kind of with a, a, a soft thud kind of uh, impacts into one of the pillars, which just materializes out of the low visibility. Uh, it mm -hmm. just kind of hits into it and comes to a stop. And you see, moving a little bit more slowly now, the cugboat following in the same sort of path. But as it does, something wispy kind of reaches up from beneath and starts to swirl over the deck of the ship and um, you see little flashes of magic and lightning and little fire and little poofs of smoke and you start to hear the sh of swords being drawn and then on the other side as it passes through this sort of tiny maelstrom the ship again impacts where you where where this uh, ethereal version of Kay's ship has impacted and as you come back to yourself from this arcane circle you hear a whistle blowing from the lower deck, uh, the rear balcony of the cugboat, and you hear Zop's voice kind of echoing up very faintly with the wind trying to pull it away. Um, okay, we need, uh, we, I see something, I think, and it doesn't look, I'm not sure what. And then you hear mockery. What is that? Are those? I grab out. Are those? Get your weapons! Get your weapons! And you see, uh, you know, just off in the distance at the top of it, you see Mockery light a cigar, use it to light a slow match, and then hold it up to a musket, and it kind of shoots downwards into the into the distance. Please roll initiative. That's not good. <clears throat> Alan had a 16 on initiative. Okay. 
Um, I have a 15. 15. On initiative. We're also going to bring Gunner and Radford into this because you are down two party members. Gunner comes running up to the deck. Jake, you're back in control of Gunner. Um, And you can go ahead and roll initiative for him. And actually, um, Jeb, you can choose if you want Radford or FP to back you up. Ooh, that's a hard one. FP has not been dropped off yet. Not yet, no. Well, actually, DM, did uh, Ronald drop off first? No, I think you said you wanted the ship to drop you off and then drop Ronald off, right? <clears throat> um, eh, either way. Yeah, okay. I, I said I'll leave it up to you, Ronald, um, and I wasn't sure which way, oh, but okay. that's like either way is fine. So, yeah, yeah that doesn't we'll matter. We'll do that. Um, I think, oh, dang. I, I, I saw little like fire poofs and sword sounds, right? Uh, and lightning. It was just kind of a general combat. It wasn't necessarily something specific. It wasn't indicative, yeah, yeah. particularly indicative. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, Going once. FP, FP. Okay. Uh, FP comes rushing up to the deck. Did somebody call for me? And Wash, you're back in charge of FP as well. <clears throat> yep. Uh, Jake, what was Gunner's initiative role? Oh, sorry. I like pulled up his character sheet and forgot to actually roll it. No worries. I've got a lot of things to roll initiative for here, so you you take your time. F- Gunner's got a 19. Great. FP got a 6. FP got a 6. Um, Clara got a 9. Perfect. So um, Clara's not actually going to enter combat. Instead, I'm going to give you, Willa, the chance to operate as the Cugboat. There are a number of actions. Initiative 20. Initiative Correct. order 20. Got it. So the Cugboat will... And you can still communicate on behalf of the boat, maybe as Clara, maybe Clara is relaying these instructions to bruiser in the cockpit. Um, but, um, but you can just choose based on what those are, what the cug boat's going to do each turn. So the, I have this initiative order of the players and then I just need to work in here. Some of our other friends, new friends, everybody loves new friends. Friends. Yeah. New <laughs> friends. Uh, whatever okay. is about to happen seems like it's going to be really friendly yeah definitely friendly you can tell because mockery shot at it before talking to it that's how you know it's <laughs> going to be friendly Alan yes you see Jeb he's just got a big smile on his face he's like whatever is dangerous is coming directly up below us and it's going to try okay. and stop us okay but if we get through it we're going to find him we're going to all right and Alan Alan smiles as well this we can do this this is it. And Alan's going to peer over the side from, well, it's not his turn. Never mind. Yep. It, I forget we're in initiative. Yep. Alan is not first, uh, nor is the Cugboat, actually. There are two baddies who need to go before that. Uh, so um, the, let's see here. You're a baddie. Aw. <laughs> uh, flying. And I. there are multiples of these, so I've given them kind of sillyish names that help us differentiate between them. Um, but nice. a, they're not silly creatures. Uh, a creature that looks like um, a giant eye with teeth underneath of it and a bunch of flailing eye stalks coming off of it. Oh, it's that's about, lovely. It's about five feet wide. It's this gross, like, <laughs> kind of livid skin color. Comes rushing out of the mist towards Zop. Uh, Zopf, luckily, because Zopf was on lookout duty, just dives backwards and inside the rear balcony for a second to kind of take cover and relays to you what was seen. 
Um, so that's what Zop saw. And then that's actually the only creature that's visible at the moment. However, I do need uh, Owlin to... What's your AC, Owlin? It is now 15. 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Owlin, as you see a really small little like kind of stalked eyeball looking creature come out of the mist towards you and it's going to make an attack. Um, it, it's little eyes on the different tentacles. One of them just looks towards you and then kind of like shoots off a little ray um, at you. And that ray is sunshine, sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you need to make a wisdom saving throw. And then it's going to fire one more after that. Okay. 17 on the wisdom saving throw. 17. Nice. You are successful on your wisdom saving throw. Uh, you also need to make a strength saving throw. Oh, guess who's got good strength? <clears throat> ah. Guess who's got troll strength? Oh, let's go. Ogre strength. Yeah, ogre strength. Whatever. Troll ogre. Ogres have layers. Uh, guess you just rolled a natural <laughs> one. Um, no way. Chronal shift. Way. Oh, let's go. All right, you re-roll that natural one. Okay. Uh, 14. 14. Uh, Owlin, for just a second there, you feel like you're about to be launched telekinetically off the deck of the Cugboat, but then something happens and it's like the grip grip (laughs) of the telekinesis slips off of you. Like the force is there and you see a little poof of snow get flung away from you off the Cugboat to below you on this battle map. It would go downwards. Um, And then the little gazer is going to take one, two, three more squares of movement. Um, as it kind of flies back out into the mist. You can still see it, but it's a little bit obscured by like little flurries kind of passing by. Um, that's going to do its turn. And then here comes another one. Uh, this one's going to fly up from below on the other side of the Cugboat and appear in your line of sight. Uh, FP62, what's your AC? Uh, my AC... I'm sorry. It 14. doesn't even matter what your AC is. These are saves uh, for these little oh. eye rays. It's going to do the same well, thing where rude. it's it's going to uh, attack FP. <clears throat> Two of its little eye stalks kind of swoop in and <clears throat> kind of launch off these little rays. Uh, I need two rude. wisdom saving throws. That is not my specialty, but I rolled well. 21 for the, the 21 first. passes. 16 for the second. They both pass. Um, and FP's kind of synthoid flesh. Uh, you know, you feel these little rays. They're almost like little tiny concentrations of light. that kind of zoom and, and they hit you, but nothing seems to happen from them. Uh, that's going to conclude its turn and bring us to initiative order 20. This is where the boat goes. Uh, Clara, what's the boat going to do? Feel free to yell to the players if you want. All right. It- it seems like maybe we should be we should be looking out for these guys. We got a good visual. I I'm not seeing much, so I'm thinking we should deploy some of these lookouts, send some of these critters running around to, to see what we can see. That sounds perfect. 
All right, you and you, you're not doing anything useful. You you look like you've got eyes. Can you go over to the fore aft port starboard side and look out for things that could kill us? Um, Bruza, do you know which direction they should actually go? And can you draw me a small map of what these words mean? <laughs> you hear Bruza go, yeah, so like port is on the left and starboard is on the right. We're going to call them the left and the right. This is innovation on on as we go here. All right. We're making new languages. And as, as posts left, for, the, for the lookout, right. you could put them on the main deck. You could put them in the nest. You could put them on the fins, the stabilizing fins at the bottom of the cugboat. Uh, Whoa, and that's a lot of words. Balcony. Yeah. You said nest. One of you goes to the nest and one of you goes to the, the go to the, there was one that was a deck. You go to those places. All right. Uh, you hear mockery go, I've got the nest. And then Zopf yells back, I'll take care of the deck. Uh, All right. And, so and you Zopf draw me that diagram. I have to fly the ship, Clara. <laughs> Um, and that is, so what that, what that's going to do, um, for those watching, um, this is going to give us another 30 foot radius around each of those, each of those people's sight lines. Yeah. Um, that is what that will do. And it will also give advantage on, um, perception checks to spot things that are like the ship basically is going to roll its own perception checks to warn you about things that might be stealthing. Um, nice. That brings us to, I think gunner, uh, actually, no, it doesn't. It brings us to a couple more villainous creatures here. Um, old gazer and Ebigazer Scrooge, both gazers <laughs> come flying up towards, uh, the, the, the right, I think as Clara would say, or maybe the left, whatever, uh, port side, um, <laughs> that was, is the left side. <laughs> Uh, I need Gunner to make a wisdom save and a strength save. And I need Owlin to make a wisdom save and a dexterity save. Okay. Uh, 19 on wisdom and 11 on strength for Gunner. Okay. Uh, Gunner passes wisdom but fails strength. Luckily for him, based on the direction of the gazer that's attacking him, he goes one, two, three, four, five squares. He is flung by the telekinesis of uh, the old the old gazer as it attacks him. The other one, Ebigazer Scrooge, is attacking Allen. And what are the saves for Allen again? Allen needs to roll a wisdom save and a dexterity save. Twelve on wisdom. Uh, let me look at my abilities here. I can see the thing that's attack that's that's making me roll a deck you save, can. right? Okay, so I get advantage. Uh, sixteen on the deck save. Sixteen on the deck save. Okay, uh, you successfully pass both saves, and Alan and and really everyone on deck is now like literally kind of weaving and ducking and like trying to get around all of these different rays that are attacking you. When it comes to Gunner's turn, okay. Uh, this will be, could sound like a silly question, but I ask it in earnest. Uh, does Gunner potentially have access to an ocean? Um, (laughs) I'll give him one ocean. You want to use it now? I would like to use an ocean. Go ahead. All right. So this is a few days back on the Cug boat. Gunner approaches Randy Mig McHale. 
Hey, what can I do for you? Cool stuff. All right. Well, as you know, and you probably know well, um, I like to keep a lot of these on me. And he pulls out explosives, various explosives. Yeah. Um, I like those. Yeah. They're cool. All right. So something I've been thinking about. Uh Uh-huh. You know, it's easy for me to place one, detonate it, put it on a timer, or even just toss one, etc. Um, what about situations where I need to get one a bit further, you know, like, farther than I could throw it? Um, what if I had something that could launch these? What do you think? Like, how big are you talking? How far do you need them to go? Well, I mean... As far as they can get them, uh, well, so here's I can the still thing. Hold, hold the thing that's launching them. I can you make know? you, I can make you something that goes really far away, but then it's not mm-hmm. going to be very useful nearby, right? Or I can sure. make you something that's medium yeah. far. Or I can make you, you know, like how far are you anticipating attacking something with one of these explosives? You know. Well, I'd say probably medium far because really far away, and you know. I got eyes, but, you know, can I see really far away? I don't know. Um, so you're saying like 60 feet, shin, 60 shins, Moltrick system, 60 shins? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think we could I think we could make something like that. Uh, but, well, uh, okay, so here's here's the real question, and he continues to explore the situation with you as Gunner rolls a survival check to see if he can um, basically help uncover the needs uh, uh, or the requirements of this machine and he can roll it with advantage because he's got Randy helping. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. as you can see, um, I, I, I think a 27's worth of survival is what, what might be needed Dang. to make this work. Oh, yeah. We can we can knock that out in a day, I think. Yeah. Easy peasy. Perfect. No problem. Perfect. All right. I'll, I'll take care of it for you. Uh, and right. sure enough, you. Uh, now in this moment... Alan, as we return to the present and you stand aboard the cugboat with these weird creatures attacking you, Gunner's just been flung back, his feet probably skidding in the snow as he kind of regains his balance, the, the small wooden railing, kind of like the last thing to catch him before he flips over the side of the cugboat and falls. Uh, you have the comforting... Uh, grenade g- grenade launcher that you've just asked uh, him to craft for you at your side. It can launch a projectile of yours uh, 30 to 60 feet uh, normally and at other ranges at disadvantage. So you could shoot further or something closer um, sure. at disadvantage with it. But otherwise it is a normal ranged attack from 30 to 60 feet. Great. Um, and we are I assuming gotta, that you are setting the fuses to explode on, like, upon reaching the target destination, right? You like you don't want them to be on a timer. Uh, I think um, timer might be best in this case because uh, I think I think well, I think timer. I think it's like almost like pin gets pulled upon trigger pull. Um, What's simpler? It's a lot easier if they just blow up when they hit something. All right, blow up when they hit something. Great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta, I gotta see. Um, what? What's the? Oh, twenty feet is the is the. Uh, okay, radius. I gotta, I gotta see what what bad guy is gonna. Um, 
30 to 60 Five. feet is the range of your... Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if Gunner hits Gazer 2, he can still hit Ebigazer Scrooge. Okay. Um, as well. So he'll attack, um, like, somewhere in the middle of them, basically? Well, yeah, but then how is it... What's it going to hit? What's the grain going to hit? So he has to... I see. Essentially a- attack Perfect. Gazer 2, and then it'll also hit Ebigazer Scrooge. Go for so, it. So Gunner gets pushed back. He, like, has this shoulder strap that no one has noticed that he has. Um, but, like, now as he, like, takes this thing off his shoulder, and it looks like just, like, this, like, kind of unwieldy, uh, like, maybe not super, um, like, well-designed, like, visually yet, but very practical thing that he just, like, grabs one of his explosives from his belt, stuffs it in the front, and then, like... Uh, cocks it into place. Okay. And will fire at Gazer 2. Perfect. Go ahead and um, roll to hit. That's a ranged attack. Yep. Oh, and all that for an 8. That. <laughs> uh, uh, with an 8, so you fire at it, but the, the creature is so small. These weird eye stalk gazers, they just, it kind of like squirts out of the way, and the grenade whistles off into the distance. You don't see it or hear it impact or explode. Um, that's good. Oh, well, you have a move action, I guess, as well, and a bonus action if you want it. All village nearby has a bad day. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, well, <laughs> in that case, uh, I think still, let's see. If Gunner wants to maintain this range, he kind of wants to stay where he's at. Um, hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that's it for Gunner's turn. He's going to reload, get ready for his his second and only other time he's going to get to fire this thing. Great. Uh, <laughs> as Gunner reloads, another one of the goths, these bigger um, these bigger creatures, uh, comes soaring across. It basically like passes the main deck. Uh, or like passes by the, the aft castle and the crow's nest mockery is like, heads up, something's coming. And it kind of, uh, soars over here and gets into position behind one of the gazers. And it is going to, um, identify. It's going to make a check here to try and identify something. Okay. Uh, it's going to three of its little eye stalks kind of like swirl around as it, and they're all kind of like just writhing and doing like the weird spaghetti monster dance. Um, but three of them kind of lock into place and they're all staring at FP six, two, uh, as it, as it fires, um, roll Jeb roll 3d or out FP roll 3d six <laughs> and tell me what each D six is. This is to determine what the, what the rays are. Did you ask me to? Yes. Yes. Did you say please? <laughs> Sorry, I've been fighting a coughing fit over here. That's okay. First one is a two. Second okay. one is a three. Third one is a six. Perfect. Uh, two, three, and a six. So in that order, uh, Jeb needs to make a constitution saving throw. Jeb or FP? I thought you said it was FP. Sorry, FP. This is tough. I wasn't anticipating needing you to play nope. alt characters tonight, but here we are. That's okay. All right, Constitution saving throw. Here we come. Con saves. That's a 14 plus 1, 15 on the con save. Great. You pass. Uh, you take 
Uh, nine points of necrotic damage as you kind of feel it's like a ray that luckily FP is so fast that he could just dodge out of the way. Um, but even like as a little bit of it glances across your arm, it's almost like when you get like a dead bicep or whatever, like you kind of bump something and your arm goes numb. You get this like feeling of numbness, like your arms being enervated. Ooh. That is a unnerving FP with his new synthetic body. That's probably the first time he's ever felt that. Yeah. Do not like. Uh, okay, and then the three uh, is a dexterity saving throw. Oh, he's good at that. <clears throat> that is a 21. A 21. He is successful and uh, avoids any damage as a ray of fire just kind of rushes past where he Amazing. was standing, you know, a second before. And then finally, he needs to succeed on a wisdom saving throw. That Ooh. is moderate. This is a serious. Oh, natural too. 20, baby. Natural 20. Um, <clears throat> as this ray kind of swoops nearby, uh, FP ducks out of the way, but he dodges in such a way where just a little tiny bit of it kind of like glances over maybe his ear or his temple or something like that. And so he gets the sense that if this thing had hit him, it would have put him to sleep sleep being something he's not very familiar with needing. It's like a weird sensation to be like, Oh, this might've made me really drowsy. Um, this is my mind. You will not mess with it. This creature is then going to use its remaining 10 feet of movement to, uh, kind of pull back out here to the side of the cug boat, just like that. Uh, that's goth Brooks that just finished that turn. And then, uh, there's one more gazer who's going to make it uh, an attack here. Um, and this one is going to fly in and make a melee attack on FP six, two. I uh, knew there had to be a gazer beam gazer there. Yep. There is a gazer uh, nice. beam. Uh, and this one rolled a seven to hit. So <laughs> as FP Does is doing hit. the dance, this gazer comes up and I think this thing probably tries to like latch on with its teeny little teeth and it like, it doesn't break the skin. And so it kind of slides back off of FP's synthoid skin and it's like right up in his business now. Um, so FP has been like directly engaged in combat by one of them. Uh, that's going to bring us to Owlin's turn and Jeb is on deck. Okay. All right. So Alan is going to move up to here. Okay. He's going to uh, <clears throat> do a little Storm Herald Barbarian raging bonus okay. action. Sure. Um, so he, you know, draws his scimitar of speed, you know, puts out his arms and just, you know, roars. Uh, his lightning ethereal wings sprout out of his back and a lightning bolt comes down on one of the, the gazers there um, at random, I can just like roll a d6 odds and evens. Yeah, sure. Even odds uh, above, uh, evens we'll do, below. We'll do, it's on gazer beam. Okay. Um, and so gazer beam needs to make a deck save DC 14. Gazer beam rolled a 14 on the die uh, and the dex is a positive number. So that's a pass. Okay. Uh, so it takes, I rolled max damage at least. So it takes three lightning damage. Okay. From a lightning bolt coming down when Alan rages. Sure. And then Alan will multi-attack. He'll do one scimitar attack on Gazer Beam and one on Old Gazer. Great. Uh, which um, one do you want to do first? We'll do 
gazer beam first. Standing on the deck with one gazer to each side of him, Alan whirls in this sort of uh, dance-looking attack, narrowly avoiding FP-62, who is also kind of right nearby here in the center of the main deck of the Cugboat. Uh, what was your roll to hit? Roll to hit was 14. All right, that's a hit on the first one. Okay, and the damage is 10. 10, 10 slashing damage. That was to Gazer Beam? Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Uh, Gazer Beam, you slice straight through it, and in a little spurt of acrid green blood, Gazer Beam falls lifeless to the deck and begins to dissolve. And then in, like, essentially the same motion, Alan's going to continue that slice uh, towards Old Gazer. Great. Uh, attacks Old Gazer. That's a dirty 20. Dirty 20 hits. And... 11 damage. 11 damage. Uh, You hit this thing and you slice it pretty good. Your sword doesn't cut the whole way through this one, but it gives a a little shriek Mm -hmm. as you uh, hit it with your scimitar of speed. And it is like bleeding that same acrid green blood is kind of hanging off of it as it floats out here uh, over the empty space just beyond the railing of the cug boat. Nice. And that is Alan's turn. That is Alan's turn, which brings us to Jebediah's turn. I'm zooming out here for our viewers at home to see the field of battle. A quick word picture for you listeners. Alan, Jeb, and FP62 stand at the center of the main deck of the Cugboat, a hundred foot expanse of wood, though they can only see about 30 feet down the length of it because of the swirling snow and mist. Around them are a number of floating eyeballs basically with these weird stalks with smaller eyeballs on them and shrieking fanged sharp teeth kind of snatching and chattering as they swirl around the cugboat into that we join jebediah peppermint for his turn of combat and whenever jeb starts a turn you know what that means it means we need to start with asking the dm a question of course (laughs) it does um the time, like how much time passed between our last game and now? Was it like you just said we got a long rest? Was it only one day or was it longer than that? Uh, it Since the last game session? Correct. Yeah, it's been like seven days. But I also realized okay. I needed to ask you a question before your turn. Because when you start your turn in a certain place with some certain things around you, you have to make a DC 14 wisdom save. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> well, let's see how uh, let's see how this DC fourteen wisdom save goes. Yeah, that's not super. Ooh, that's a nine. Oh no! But I think I'm gonna chronal shift that. Okay. Because <clears throat> that could be bad. It is bad. That's not much better. That is an 11. An 11. Jeb, just as you're thinking about what to do next, you sort of lock eyes or lock eye with Goth Brooks, the larger (laughs) eyeball creature with that red, red, livid skin, and something in its gaze leaves you stunned. Uh, And you you are stunned until the start of your next turn, the condition stunned, which I believe means you can't do very much. Well, let me ask you this. Because uh-huh. my question was, this is something that you and I had already talked about. Um, would Jeb have had time to formulate a contingency plan? I think probably. He said like seven days. Okay. If he did nothing else. <clears throat> okay. 
then something's going to happen after he regains use sure. of his faculties. Yep. For those of you at home, a stunned creature is incapacitated, can't move, and can speak only falteringly. The creature automatically fails strength and deck saves, and attack rolls against it have advantage. So Jeb is stunned until the start of Jeb's next turn. Oh, uh, actually... Hmm. Yeah, no worries. We'll figure it out. I thought a thing might happen now. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to move into the next turn, which is another one of the gazers. This is Gazer, I hardly know her, soaring <laughs> uh, across the deck of the Cugboat here. This one mm-hmm. swirls up to the <clears throat> other side of kind of the cloud of, of creatures here, and it's kind of split in its attention between Gunner and Jeb, but seeing Jeb lock up, it's going to kind of lock in on that, and it's going to attack Jeb. So it's going to fly up towards Jeb here, and uh, from next to him, it's going to use one eye ray, and then it's going to do a melee attack. So Jeb, I would like you to roll a d4. This is going to determine what the eye ray does and I will roll its melee attack one. with advantage. A one. And a one. the attack with advantage is a uh, 19 on the die plus five yep, to hit. Hits. So that's going to hit. So the one is a wisdom saving throw of 12. All right. Oh, we rolled a 15 plus stuff. Okay. <clears throat> no worries. Uh, and then it also is going to hit with its bite attack, which is going to deal one point of piercing damage as it kind of latches on and bites into Jeb, uh, where he, where he stands. Um, that was gazer. I hardly know her, uh, with that turn. That sounds like the end of a band. That was gazer. I hardly know her with its first single, uh, Uh, (laughs) gazer beam is dead, right? Uh, yes. Uh, I will delete gazer beam off the map. Yep. Sorry. That was a, a good call. I should have done that. His first hit single. Yeah, Gazer Beam is dead. Uh, and then that's going to bring us to Death Kiss. Uh, a Death Kiss is a large creature. It is a massive kind of... It's almost like the color of a Mew, like that kind of light pink faded fleshy thing. It's an eyeball in the middle of a bunch of spiky tentacles, almost like a weird jellyfish kind of creature, this big red eye. And it comes kind of compared to the others sort of lumbering into position again, mockery and Zopf give up a little warning cry as this thing floats into the air around you. It's going to, Oh yes, please just nestle right there. We love it. It's going to, yeah, this is (laughs) perfect. It's going to use its movement to try and position itself. Sorry. I keep snapping to intercept sections instead of onto squares gunner um, gunners just muttering on his ears, oh, oh yeah right there. That's uh, all right yep stay there and then as <laughs> snap it, to that intersection yeah really <laughs> let me see what it's okay so 5 10 15 20 so it does have the reach here it's going to attack jeb i'm going to put it here it's going to attack jeb and fp and owlin um each of you is i need your ac as it attacks you so the attack against owlin is a uh, 23. Yeah, that hits. Okay. <laughs> the attack against FP six, two is a 18 and the attack uh, yeah, against Jeb with advantage for the <clears throat> stunned is a, uh, 17. Yep. That hits. Okay. So each of you, as you get hit, take some piercing damage uh, from the tentacle, which I'm about to roll. 
you take 10 points of piercing damage each and you are all grappled um, which means Lovely. that you are conditioned restrained. Uh, we got Belly Savalas in the chat <coughs> using some channel Ooh. points to change the weather. Uh, even, so this thing kind of lashes out um, through the through the snowstorm here, and it gets these these three tentacles kind of wrap around, and they kind of grapple you around like maybe your arms, so they kind of lash into your shoulder and kind of hold you in place. And as you are restrained and it hits Alan, there is this crackle of thunder from his storm, <clears throat> storm herald kind of rage that he's entered, and this massive lightning bolt <clears throat> in the distance. But it is so significant that it fries away the mist and the clouds that are... Um, that are surrounding the Cugboat, and I'm going to turn off Fog of War on our map as your visibility oh. is restored to each of you um, to like the far distance, basically. So there's still the navigational mist somewhere, but it's not here right now as it got fried away by this massive lightning bolt, and the storm itself is not over you. So it's not raining or hailing or anything like that, but there are dark clouds kind of swirling in the distance, and it was one of those like almost like chain lightning or sheet lightning that kind of fried through mm -hmm. everything. Um do you, can you just confirm? Cause it's updating weird on my screen. You can see everything now, right? Yes. Okay, great. Um, you can see everything, which means that you can also see as the last goth goth cug, uh, comes flying up across the deck of the <laughs> ship here. Um, this is another one of those livid, uh, red tentacled creatures, and it is going to, uh, attack with some eye rays against Owlin. Now that he's restrained, um, Owlin roll three D six for me. And while he's doing that, for those of you at home, the condition restrained is uh, speed becomes zero and a creature can't use its move speed. Attack rolls against that creature have advantage um, and the creature's attack rolls have disadvantage and the creature has disadvantage on dexterity saves. So those are the conditions. Five, five, four on the D6. Five, five, four. Um, okay. So you are, you can reroll one of those fives um, while he's rerolling that the first attack will be a strength saving throw as a sort of purplish beam launches out of the, the goths, uh, one of its eye stalks. Okay. <clears throat> 19 on that strength saving 19, throw. And on go ahead. The replacement D six is a one. Great. Uh, the replacement D six is a one. So the 19 is a success. Um, which means that you can feel the um, the telekinetic force trying to push you, but it's actually getting mixed up by the fact that you're restrained. Like the the death kiss is just too strong in the grip that it has on you for you to be pushed um, pushed anywhere from from right now. And then the one that you rolled is a, a DC 14 dexterity saving throw, which you are rolling at disadvantage. Okay. No matter what, I did not get it. Okay. Uh, you see a, it's almost like a strange greenish tinge in the air that uh, it kind of like shimmers and wavers like a, um, like, like heat wood rising off of a desert or something like that. And you, you feel more than see as the weave in your rod of intelligence is suppressed. It <laughs> disappears. Now, luckily you are in range of Jeb, and uh, so your your magic will still work, but your 
you feel that your rod has stopped doing anything. It almost feels like your attunement has been ended. Um, and then the last one that it rolled, you said was a six. So that is a, uh, wisdom saving throw, please. Eight. Eight. Owlin falls unconscious. Well, really, he falls asleep. Um, he awakens if he takes damage or if another creature takes an action to wake him. Um, but Owlin just goes limp in the piercing uh, hold of the death kiss. Um, and then this goth cug is going to take five more feet of movement to pull itself a little bit further out of reach. And that's going to end its turn. Uh, and that brings us to the top of initiative, which is goth rock. Um, goth rock was the first one we detected. It comes soaring up over the side here and it sees that nobody is attacking gunner right now. So it's going to come over here and take an attack on gunner, uh, gunner roll three D six. Two, three, one. Two, three, one. Uh, constitution save first. This is an enervation ray. Nat 20 on the constitution. Nat 20, nothing to worry about. Two, three, one, is that what you said? Yeah. Okay, so then a DC 14 dexterity save. Dang. Oh, save. Yes. Whew. Uh, well, no, still didn't get it. 12. <laughs> 12. Okay. Uh, you take um, 22 points of fire damage as a fire wave oh. kind of flares across you. And then um, the last one is a DC 14 dexterity save for the one. That's what I just did. Yeah, it's okay. another one. This okay. is for the one, not the three. This is a devour magic ray. Nice. Uh, you succeed against the devour magic ray. Um, that ends goth Brooks's turn and brings us to, or I'm sorry, goth rock and brings us to gazer uh, or gazer two. Really gazer two is going to <coughs> zoom down here. One, two, three, four squares of movement and Jebediah peppermint. Roll me 2d4. Why do you make me roll them? Because it's attacking me. Yeah. One and a three. One and a three. Uh, DC 12 wisdom save. And then a DC 12 dex save, which will be a disadvantage because you're restrained. I guess you're also stunned, so... Um, that's a 16 on the first one and a deck save. You actually automatically eight. fail those when you're stunned. Oh, yeah. Um, you pass the one, the first one. Um, the second one, you take 10 points of cold damage as a frost ray begins to crystallize across your arm where it impacts you. Uh, and that brings us yeah. to the boat. Um, with fire and my gazer on on deck. All right. Um, checking in with y'all. Would you rather have more information on the targets and their weak points, or do we want to just see if we can avoid them for a minute so people can maybe get out of their damaged states, or do you want me to attack? Um, I'd say, I'd say attack. I'd think attacking might be nice. Okay. 
Um, Clara That's goes, me and Alan's voice. That's fine. <laughs> Thank you. The um, so Clara Clara goes. All right, I see. I see that one and that one are both in in pretty dire straits. Pointing at um, Jeb and I believe Gunner are both are both under under unfavorable sure. conditions. I think we're all under unfavorable. Yeah, everyone's in really unfavorable conditions right now. Is unfavorable. <clears throat> it's a tough day. Um, so so um, I'm gonna point to two crew members and be like, I'm gonna need you to fire and you to fire over here. You know, we got ammunition, we got we got snacks, we got everything you need. <laughs> <laughs> we've um, got ammunition, we've got snacks is the four guys slogan. <laughs> this is gonna be That's two true. ranged attacks against an attacker that is not aboard the cug boat. Um, Excellent. With a damage of one d eight plus dex, so I will rate. I will roll um, the attack rolls. So first, we're going to attack the one that is nearest to Jeb. I can't see the screen. So Gazer, I hardly know her. Yeah, y'all make these calls. Um. Okay, that one is a. That one is a six. Okay. Uh, it's mockery who runs over there, but she's like nervous about hitting Jeb. And so she misses with the ranged attack from the crossbow. Yep. And the other is a seven. Okay. And that one's towards the one near gunner. Um, okay. And the other one is a seven. So that one's going to attack Gothrock. Uh, so that'll be Zopf who runs up here to attack Gothrock. It's a ranged attack. So Zopf can stay back a little bit. The seven is not enough. Um, and so uh, that attack misses, kind of shoots off into the distance. Well, that was just terrible. Why can't you do better? Uh, firing <laughs> my gazer, old gazer, and Ebigazer Scrooge are going next with Gunner on deck. Um, firing my gazer and Ebigazer Scrooge will both attack FP62. They're going to just fly in towards him while he's restrained and go for bite attacks. So they're going to roll with advantage. Uh, that is a 15 on the first one and a dirty 20 on the second one. Both of those hit. Okay. Both of those hit FP six, two takes four points of damage um, as they kind of latch on and bite him. Um, and now they're like just up close and, and personal. Uh, and then the other one is old gazer, which is going to attack Allen with its eye rays. Um, so Allen is actually, no, it's not cause Allen's asleep. So it's going to come over here, five, 10 feet up the deck a little bit, and it's going to attack Jeb while he's still stunned. Um, so it's going to get closer and it's going to bite Jeb. It has uh, advantage on attacks because Jeb is stunned. It rolled a natural 20. Uh, it's going to deal this is eight fine. points of, I'm sorry, four points of piercing damage as it bites him. <laughs> Uh, and it's little eye stalks flailing wildly, um, as it attacks Jeb and that will bring us to Gunner, uh, with right. some more enemies on deck. So Gunner puts another explosive in his grenade launcher and aims it <clears throat> and he aims for the death kiss, but specifically the furthest corner of the death kiss that is away because the death kiss is a very large creature yeah i guess what's the actual size classification i don't remember it is but it's the one that takes up yeah large so he's going to aim for this corner here specifically so that he can catch all of the enemies on that side of the ship except for gothrock and only the grenade will only damage potentially or pretty much guaranteed because i want to sleep alan 
um, with its 20 foot range. Okay. Um, but that's sort of a benefit because Alan wakes up. Great. So um, Gunner is gonna is gonna launch a grenade for that specific spot. Go ahead and roll the hit. All right, stay right there. 18. 18 does hit the death kiss. Let's go! Very impressive. Okay, uh, so a- the death the death kiss, Goth oh. Brooks, Gazer 2, <laughs> Old Gazer, and Ebigazer Scrooge. Ooh, Alan nice. is asleep. All of those need to make a DC 15 dexterity saving throw. Okay. The death kiss rolled a 15 Amazing. on the die plus some stuff. I'm going to roll for the gazers as a group because there's so many of them. Uh, the gazers rolled a... It was wisdom. It's a dexterity it's saving throw. Dexterity. 13. The gazers all fail. And then you said okay. there was a goth in there, right? Yeah, the goth that's... Goth Brooks. Uh, goth, Brooks. goth Brooks rolled an 18. Goth Brooks. Sweet. Okay, so... Sorry, now I'm rolling damage. You're fine. I love silence when somebody says I'm rolling damage. Right. No, it's okay. You so, know, uh, so a lot of dice. It's not. It, it, I just don't, don't have. That don't break my heart. Just tell dice. me the number. Uh, Seventeen on a failed save. Half of that, which is I think technically what is that? An eight. Mm-hmm. Eight. Uh, uh, so seventeen on a failed save. Eight on a successful save. Uh, piercing damage. Got it. Eight. And then remind me which gazers you hit. Uh, Gazer 2, Old Gazer, and Epic Gazer Scrooge. Okay, Gazer 2's dead. Um, It just kind of disappears in shrapnel and kind of green acrid mist. Uh, Old Gazer and Ebigazer Scrooge took 17 points. Yep, they both die too. Old Gazer and Ebigazer Scrooge are gone in little puffs of acrid green mist. Um, as they die, FP62, who is directly next to one of them, and Jeb, who's directly next to one of them, roll DC12 constitution saves, please. Alan also takes the 17 damage, but is awake. Great. You're just trying to preserve his uh, rage. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Well, no, he lost his rage as soon as he went to sleep, but oh, he has okay. more. He had very angry dreams. That's his secret. He's always angry. Saves. Jeb got an 11. And okay. FP got a two. Okay, both of them take six points of poison damage as the acrid kind of greenish goop lands on them when the creatures are, are killed. Um, and that brings us to... Uh, so there's a goth and gazer beam, and then Owlin is on deck. Um, goth Brooks is going to attack Owlin, I think, because um, he's still restrained. So uh, Owlin, roll me 3d6. Four, six, four again. So I'll re-roll that four. Four, six, two. Okay, four, six, two. Uh, the first attack is a paralyzing ray. DC 14 constitution save. Dang Hopefully. it. These guys are gross. Oh, uh, 24, I assume. Uh, 24 is enough to pass. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that one, you succeed. You don't need to worry about it. The next one was the six, right? I don't remember the order of it. Four, six, and two. So we'll do the six next. Uh, DC 14 wisdom save, the sleep ray. Oh, no. That'd be really unfortunate. Uh, You know what's really unfortunate? A 12. Ugh, a 12. 
Uh, you fall unconscious for one minute, but you awaken if you take damage or another creature takes an action to wake you. And the two is an enervation ray, which will deal damage if you fail. Uh, DC 14 constitution save. Well, can I make it if I'm asleep? I think I ought to fail, don't I? Um, I guess, does an unconscious creature fail all saves? I think you're actually right. I, I don't know why I said actually. I think you're right. Uh, <laughs> For once in your life, you're right. <laughs> uh, no, you only auto fail dex and strength saves. Okay, con um, save, so you, you said? Yep, con save. Okay. Actually wrong. Uh, 14, what was the DC? A DC 14. Um, so you succeed and <laughs> you don't take any. No, wait, do you take half Ooh. damage? You take half know. damage. You take nine points of okay. necrotic damage and you wake up again. <laughs> Your biceps say not today. Alan's <laughs> acting like Marcy up in here um, as you as you wake up again. And the goth is also going to take its move action. Um, it observed the range of fire of the attack from Gunner, and it's going to kind of flutter out of range, or what it thinks is out of range of Gunner, Gunner here, as it as it moves. Uh, in fact, it's going to go that way, and that's going to bring us to. Um, gazer beam gazer beam is oh up here gazer beam dashes back into combat um, is not close enough to actually attack with a melee but gazer beam can attack gunner with the little eye stalks so gunner roll 2d4 and let's see what the gazer does to you 2d4 Uh, that's a 1 and a 3 a one and a three. I want two. The first one is a dazing ray. DC 12 wisdom save. Okay. Dazer beam. Uh, uh, uh. I hardly know her. <laughs> uh, t- dirty 20. Dirty 20. Easy pass. The next one is a frost ray. DC 12 dexterity save. Oh, that's a poor roll. That's an eight. That's an eight. You take 10 points of cold damage as the frost kind of spreads up Gunner uh, and kind of crackles into place, uh, maybe along one of his legs um, from the the eye stalks locked in on you. Um, And then that's going to bring us to Owlin with Jeb on deck. Owlin's awake. Yay. Um, He sure is. Owlin's going to try to break three of the grapple, which is, I believe, an athletics check. Uh, or can be an athletics check. Yes. Okay. That's a 23. 23 is successful. You wrench yourself free of the death kisses grip. The, the talon or the, the tentacle that it kind of impaled into your shoulder. Alan maybe just reaches up and rips it out and the tension uncoils it like a spring. It like unravels and soars back towards the death kiss. Okay. And that's a, that's a, a standard action. To it do is. That. Okay. So in that case, Alan is going to move. Oh, I have the wrong thing selected. Ha ha. Uh, Alan's going to move action, move, move action here. And then bonus action with the scimitar of speed attack. Gazer, Gazer, I hardly know her. Great. So for those of you at home, Alan rushes up the deck of the cugboat to be even with Jebediah um, and then attacks the Gazer that is attacking Jeb. Um, just a reminder, we and have some audio only people. Too. Yes. I, mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, it's okay. Will, That's why I'm reminding her at that. Uh, um, all right, that is a 28 to hit. A 28 is going to successfully hit. Okay, and nine damage. Nine points of damage. Uh, you sl- slash into this thing, which is, uh, it was looking at Jeb. Now its eye stalks all kind of like waver and, and wiggle over towards you, and it 
as it looks over towards you um, from that slash, you draw a little bit of that acrid green blood um, with this hit. So, you know, it's, it's starting to hurt. Um, nice. And that brings us to, oh, sorry. Are you done with your turn? That is all of Alan's move or Alan's action economy. Yep. Great. So it's Jeb's turn with Gazer. I hardly know her on deck. <laughs> all right. Am I still restrained? Uh, you are still restrained, but your stunned condition has end ended. Okay. <laughs> it has ended. Oh, <laughs> oh, Alan. We were very, very close. You can see Jeb is kind of like bruised up a little bit. He's not quite bloody, but is maybe like one hit point away from having blood drawn on him. Um, and he says, you might want to get away from me. Uh, I I can't right now, but I will as soon as I can. <laughs> uh, There's still a shrieking gazer right up. next to you, Jeff. Yeah, he, he he holds one finger, like like squeezes his hand like up, and he's got like the rod in it, and he goes up up and you go, and then there's a little beam, a little moat of yellow light that emerges off of the tip, okay. and he is casting sunbeam. It goes into 60 foot uh, 5 foot wide beam towards the death kiss almost like it's tracing um, up the tentacle that is uh, latched on yes. to Jeb here okay it just, um, wah, is that a roll to, to hit make a, or a save that is a constitution saving throw DC 17 alright that is a 16 nice it takes 30 points of Let's radiant 30. damage. Okay. And it is blinded until its next turn. 30 points of radiant damage. Oh, you got all those and big eyes and you can't even see. <laughs> uh, okay. What a nerd. Uh, it is, you are still <laughs> restrained, just to be clear. Uh, you have not made, yes. taken the action to make the escape. Okay. Um, that is correct. Great. Uh, so then you can't take a move action, so that would end your turn. Um, yep, that's it. All right. That's it. Uh, it is Gazer I Hardly Knower's turn uh, with FP on deck. Gazer I Hardly Knower, still next to Jeb, is going to attack with... Uh, actually, seeing Owlin come, it's probably going to try and back off. This will provoke the attack of opportunity if you wanted Owlin. That would be your reaction. Yes, please. Okay, go ahead and roll it. Owlin's like, oh, no, you do not. <laughs> uh, that's a 29 to hit. 29 hits. I don't know. With, Al- with Alan's uh, gauntlets of of uh, what is it, ogre strength? Ogre strength. Tr- mm-hmm. ogre strength his his uh, to hit and damage are increased. <laughs> yeah, there are some items um, that it just makes sense to give your barbarian. Yeah, for uh, nine for damage card. again. Uh, you say nine more damage. Nine more damage. It explodes in acrid green mist. Uh, roll me a DC twelve uh, Constitution save, Jeb and Alan as you're directly next to this creature. And so you're trying to avoid the poison from the splatter. Alan passed. Okay. Uh, let's see. 14 plus two is 16. 16 is a pass. Uh, gazer. I hardly know her killed off the board. Boom. Uh, how much, how much damage was that? How much damage? Oh wait, no, he didn't take any damage, right? He didn't take any damage. Woo. Okay. Um, Okay, so that's going to bring us to uh, FP62 with the Death Kiss and Gothkug on deck. Okay, and and FP62 is still 
uh, like restrained. restrained by the death kisses. Yes, FP thing. and Jeb are both restrained. Gotcha. Um, FP did not move last turn, so he is going to uh, like essentially use the equivalent of his movement to uh, mimic the undulations of the uh, of the tentacle that is wrapping him. And this is going to be the equivalent of him using a bonus action for steady aim um, that is going sure. to counteract the, the whipping around. Um, that's going to give him advantage on this attack, which Great, will be which canceled will cancel by out. the restrained. Perfect. Yep. And he is going to fire his his rifle at the uh, at the death kiss. Perfect. That is a 18 to hit. 18 hits. And that the name is death a kiss. I love it. 15 points of bludgeoning damage or piercing damage. Perfect. Uh, 15 points of piercing damage. Um, as it just, you know, the rifle shot lashes right into it. It doesn't quite hit it in the eye with all the waving tentacles and, you know, moving. Even though FP is making it easier, he still can't quite get that, like, kill shot or whatever. But he does still hit the death kiss. It's a nice large target. And now you're in pretty clear skies. It's not very very obstructed, so it's easy to find. Um, FP still restrained at this point, so he doesn't get a move action. Uh, That makes it the death kiss's turn. Uh, The death kiss... Okay, the death kiss is going to first attack Owlin with another tentacle. Wish it uh, whips out a tentacle to try and attack uh, Owlin and restrain him. Um, Owlin killed the other creature, so he is not engaged in combat, so it doesn't have advantage. Um, that is a... It might not matter. That's a 24 to hit. Yeah, that definitely hits. Okay, so it hits you for 14 piercing damage, which I believe is half because you're raging, but you I'm are not also... Raging. Oh, okay. Then it's just 14 piercing damage, and you are grappled. Um, the next attack that it's going to make here is a blood drain attack on FP62. Um, make a DC 16 constitution save. All right. Ooh, that's a 17. 17. I would say it's probably something about his synth blood that's a little off. Yeah, it could be that. Um, but FP does not take any other damage. Noticing this, the death kiss is going to um, start moving with you. With uh, grappled and restrained creatures, the death kiss can carry you. It's going to fly 5, 10, 15 feet, and it's going to drag each of you 15 feet. Uh, 5, 10, 15, 5, 10, 15 over the open actually wash you can decide if you want jeb and left square right square he was on a line when i saw Um, yeah put him in the left square it's fine great so uh the death kiss has actually begun floating away from the cugboat and dragging owlin fp62 and jeb over the void basically now that the mist directly around the cugboat has cleared you can see straight down to like the unnavigable mist that's covering the waters 
beneath the pillars of eternal vigil. And you can also see from out here, you like now that you're looking around and being scared, uh, FP 62s keen eyes off in the distance detect that there is indeed an airship moored against one of the pillars of eternal vigil, though it's not close enough to be of any relevance to this fight. Um, and then having brought you out this far, the death kiss is going to lash out with another tentacle to try and attack um, FP62 and see if it can hit him with um, piercing damage. It's basically on an intellectual pursuit at this stage. So FP is restrained. It's going to attack with advantage. Uh, that's a 17 on the die plus uh, uh, plus an eight, uh, 25 to hit uh, FP62. That hits. Okay. And it's going to deal. 14 points of piercing damage. Um, you're already All grappled. Right, he is so going to use, difference. yeah, he's going to use uncanny dodge to reduce that by half. So Great. like wiggling. So does uncanny dodge work damage. while you're restrained? Um, yes, it doesn't. It says it doesn't matter. I just read it. Okay. So yeah, that works. Um, okay. You successfully have that damage. Uh, and that brings us to goth Cug's turn with goth rock and the boat on deck. Um, Gothcug is going to fly over the boat and it's going to attack the Cug boat directly. Um, I will roll the 3d6 for its attack here to see which attacks it makes. That's a five, a one, and a three. So we have the telekinetic ray is not going to do anything against a boat. The one is a devour magic ray. Um, Clara, on behalf of the boat, I need you to make a save, a DC 14 dexterity save. For those of you listening who are like, how's that working? I have taken the average of the NPC crew for each ability stat and given those as the modifiers regarding the boat. Roll good. First roll was like leaning against something, so I re-rolled. Hopefully that's okay. We nat 20'd. That 20 uh, plus nice. three decks. It's All right. Okay. Devour magic does not take any effect on the boat. That would have oh, been a big deal. Yeah. And this the, is a die that uh, my friend Nicole lent me and has been very lucky for me. Thank you, Nicole. That's amazing. Uh, nice. And then the sleep ray is also ineffective against the boat. So that's not going to do anything. And that brings us to the top of initiative order and goth Brooks, who's going to come five, 10, 15, 20, uh, 25, 30, it's going to dash. Uh, so that's five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. It is rushing towards gunner, uh, to work with goth rock basically to keep gunner occupied. Um, and so it is flying down the length of the deck at very high speed, screeching its tentacles flailing, probably scratching little furrows into the deck as it races across flying towards the group. And that brings us to the boats turn in initiative with fire and my gazer and gunner on deck question for you. Um, I have a lightning cannon. Um, if I shoot that at the death kiss, is that going to harm the the creatures the death kiss has pulled overboard? Uh, yes, because it can't actually be aimed. You can just choose a side of the boat to attack with lightning damage. Um, that was something we talked about very recently. The cannon uh, in game, I mean, the cannon is one that was like found in storage, and it needs a little more work before it can be reliably aimed at things. I'm not going to fry them. Um, so Clara goes like, nothing's working. It's working. I think, I think, 
Uh, uh, we need to know what it's weak against so that we can... Okay, and somebody knows something about a little bit of something everything, which is Garlel. And she's going to run find Garlel and he's going to roll the the appropriate check to see if we can figure out the weakness of the death kisser. She's going to be like that one, that one there that has all your friends. So you know how like everybody has that weakness and mine is like men in tailored suits. We need to know the, <laughs> the weakness of that thing. And and you got to know it. You got to know it. You got to tell it to me now. And I'll you you know, I'm loud. I'll tell everybody. Garlel straightens the lapels of his tailored suit and uh, he uh, says, well, let me take a look at it. And he comes up to the top deck with you. You just push the hatch open at the top of the main staircase. So it's just his head kind of poking out with his dark, uh, you know, brimmed hat. And he kind of pokes his head out and he's looking at him and he says, let me see here. Let me see here. And he's going to make a, he'll make a survival check to examine the creature. Uh, go ahead and roll that survival check with the modifiers of the boat crew. Okay. And what, what modifier is survival wisdom? Did you not 18 plus nice. three is 21, 21. Nice oh. done. He looks over at it and he goes, I've seen aberrations like this before. They're immune to lightning. In fact, they generate electricity from within their bodies. So you'll want to make sure you want to make sure Alan doesn't try any of his uh, lightning things around them. There's a chance it'll actually make them stronger. They have dark vision. They're pretty good at, at perceiving other things. We're looking for weaknesses here, Garlow. I'm going through it, uh, but they are <laughs> they're intelligent creatures, which means they can be scared. They can be uh, convinced that it's not worth their time. They can be persuaded to leave or intimidated. Do they know any languages? Can I talk to them? Uh, they don't know any languages you know, Clara, unless you know deep speech. Um, they speak the language of the ancients and the evil ones. Most of the things I say are pretty shallow. Yeah, they pretty much know what the Aboleths <laughs> know. Uh, and that's... Would yeah, the Mykonid with his like his like no, shinies be, be no, able to... No, he wouldn't know deep speech. I think um, your best bets against it are to use uh, piercing type weapons in melee or magical means to try and scare it away. This is not a creature that necessarily needs to kill you, although it's strange to find one here uh, outside of the places where they're normally found. It's normal. The habitat is not the material plane or this part of the material plane. So I would expect that it's here under orders, which means that it's probably defending something of importance on behalf of another creature. Death kisses usually work for other creatures. Uh, and all of these do. They're they're called beholder kin, and they typically work for a beholder. They're usually enslaved by and beholden to, if you'll excuse the pun, a beholder. Excuse all puns, baby. So we really don't want to see that. The, the so beholder. you're saying this is the eye of the beholder? I'm saying it could be. Mm. And killing it could probably be in its eye. Mm. Um. All right. Thank you, Stud Muffin. And she's going to just like, she's going <laughs> to activate the earring, but also scream like just because they're, they're poking their heads out the top right now. Just scream yeah. out to everybody that she can like, all right, we're going to try to pierce it. If you have something sharp, that would be great. And you can scare it away. If you use magic, maybe, maybe make something big and scary. They can be intimidated off. 
Uh, and that will bring us in initiative order to fire in my gazer. This little gazer is going to rush towards a gunner here. And I think 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, it can just barely make it into range. And it's going to attack gunner with its gnashing teeth. <laughs> and it kind of rolls an attack like that. That is a three on the die. It is unsuccessful. Gunner is like, I do That's not have miss. time for you. Uh, which brings us to Gunner's turn. Gunner, I need you to make a save before your turn begins. One of the Goths is going to force you to make a DC 14 wisdom saving throw. All right. We're right. That's a nat 20. Nat 20. Gunner is not concerned about this problem. And because of the nat 20, I'll say the other one doesn't get a chance to force the same save out of you this round. Um, okay. so that brings us to Gunner's turn with okay. some villains on deck. Um, Gunner is going to be forced to, uh, put his grenade launcher back over his shoulder, unsheath his short sword that, uh, looks remarkably clean because he hardly ever uses it and, <laughs> uh, slice at fire in my gazer. Great. Uh, he does so. He does a big overhand slash. Uh, that's a 12. I don't know if that'll hit. Uh, 12 is not quite enough. The gazer like dodges to the side and almost it almost seems like it's laughing at him as it streaks. <laughs> uh, and that is going to do anything else. All right. That's not necessary. Um, Gunner is going to... What is he going to do? Um... Dum, ba, ba, bum, 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 Ah, uh, that's it. That's that's what he's gonna do. All right, uh, that yeah. ends Gunner's turn and brings us to a few of the villains: uh, Goth Brooks and Gazer Beam with Alan on oh. deck. Uh, Goth Brooks is going to, I think, attack Gunner with some eye rays. Gunner, roll me three d six. Gazer Beam is going to fly in towards Gunner. Uh, so that Gunner is now flanked and uh, Gazer Beam and Fire and My Gazer will get uh, advantage on their melee attacks against him. The D6 are 6, 5, and 2. All right. Uh, we're going to start with a DC 14 wisdom save against falling asleep. And remember not to use anything lightning against them. They like lightning. Fail. Fail. Uh, Gunner falls asleep and is unconscious for one minute He's unless exceeds. he takes damage. Or, uh, cre- okay. Gunner's awake. Nice. Uh, the next one is pushing Ray, the uh, telekinetic throw, and this is a DC 14 strength save or be pushed 15 feet away from the goth and have your speed halved until the start of the goth's next turn. Fail. <laughs> Fail. Uh-oh. Gunner, 5, 10, 15 feet over the open expanse oh, on the other side of the cugboat. I'll give Gunner a dexterity save to oh. catch hold of the railing since he's going to get kind of thrown over the railing there, but he's going to make it a disadvantage because he's being thrown with pretty serious force. Okay. Uh, with my, um, reliable talent skill. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, is a 16 a save? Yeah. 16 would succeed. Okay. That's the worst I can get. Okay. Even with this advantage. So, so Gunner so, grabs I guess I'll, whole- I'll roll just in case, in case I get a nat one. <coughs> Sure. 
I did not get in that one. Okay. Gunner grabs hold of the railing. And so you're just flipped over it. Um, I will treat this like being prone. Like you would need to use half your move speed to stand up at the beginning okay. of your turn, but I won't make you roll a save to hang on. Uh, and the last one is a one, a devour magic ray. Uh, you need to succeed on a DC 14 deck save. Okay. Uh, same thing the worst I can roll is a 16. So I pass. Okay. You pass. Um, so that's what happens. Gunner is just launched over the side of the, the cug boat here. And sorry, that's actually this square. Cause that's where you were the square you were standing in. Um, and as you're launched that way, eh, that's okay. Uh, never mind. Um, so that concludes those two creatures turns. And that brings us to Owlin's turn with Jeb on deck. Uh, Alan still restrained and being suspended over the void outside the deck of the cug boat. Uh, uh, Jeb, uh, you can make us fly, correct? I, I can. I, if I do, it will drop my sunbeam, but yes, I can. Uh, all right. And Alan is going to, um, well, what is he going to do? He's going to uh, attempt to, you know, he's restrained, but he can make attacks at disadvantage, right? Yes, mm-hmm. he can make attacks at disadvantage okay. as long as he can reach. Like, he could only attack the tentacle, basically. Yes, well, ma- yeah. He, he like, uh, over his shoulder grabs his rifle of ice knife that oh, okay. was repaired Ooh. a while ago, and he's going to, you know, shakily aim it and attempt to fire at the death kiss's eye. You're going to remember what I even need to roll for that because I haven't used it in a while. Okay. They call that LASIK now. (laughs) They do call that LASIK. All right. Okay. Oh, that's a nine. That's not very good. That's a nine. That's a nine to hit. That's a nine to hit. It's not enough. The death kiss is able to just, you know, the tentacle that's lashing you, it sees you try to attack and it moves you to the side. As you're (laughs) flung to the side like that, you have your eyes kind of, you know, oriented away for a second. And out in the distance, you see what really looks like that steam airship that Sir Topham Sav was sailing off in the distance for just a brief moment as it disappears back into the mists far away. Um, uh, like almost no outside your range of, of vision. Um, Sir TSEP, thank you for the raid here on Twitch. Uh, we <laughs> find ourselves now at Jeb's turn. Okay. With Gazer, I hardly know where uh. I'm back. Oh no, Gazer, I hardly know where he's dead. <sighs> so FP is on deck. All right. Um, <laughs> I am going to turn my moat. DM, can you help me interpret this for a second? Sure. Um, I would like to hit as many of these guys as possible. Will that, if I like aim it like this, will it hit Gar, uh, Gothbrook's Fire and Magazer and Gazer Beam? Uh, anyone who the line will hit. So you start at one corner of your square, and if it touches the corner of their square, they're hit. All right, so, so it touches a corner. So I could go so like yes, that. So yes, you can hit, hit all, all three, three of, of them. You would not hit Gothrock. <clears throat> okay. I am going to do that. So they all three of those, like the the moat turns around. It goes and shoots another sunbeam. Sun yeah. So the Constitution saving throw DC seventeen. It's the smartest play I've got right now because he's maintaining concentration on it, and he doesn't have to attack at disadvantage. They have to dodge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, both gazers fail and die. What was the total save again? 17. 
Okay, so a 22 is going to pass then. So Goth Brooks does not uh, fail the save. Okay, so he takes half of 25 radiant damage. Great. 12. That was such a triumphant 12. I love it. 12. (laughs) 12. Uh, (laughs) uh, Very good. Uh, So you have successfully done that. And as a word picture here for our listeners at home, the field of battle on the main deck of the Cugboat here has been just covered by these flying, flailing, sort of tentacled freak creatures. And at this stage, all of the small ones are dead. So what remains is three uh, kind of livid looking blood red fleshy eyeballs with these stalks with smaller eyeballs kind of flailing off of them spaghetti monster style and like gnashing teeth. And then one really large like 10 foot diameter sphere of kind of pink goo with a deep red eye inset in it and these really sharp tentacles um, kind of coming off the side. Three of those are stretched out over the void and have lashed into and grappled Owlin, Jeb, and FP62. They are now suspended over the big drop with a sudden stop um, while the airship does its best at Bruiser's command to keep even with them. The thrusters having... flared to life and trying to hold its position so that they don't lose you. Um, but he's afraid to bring the ship under you for fear of hitting you and causing damage. Um, and that will bring us to at the end of Jeb's turn, FP six, two, unless Jeb has more stuff to do. No, Jeb does not have more stuff to do. Uh, don't forget that death kiss is blind until it's next turn. I don't remember if it's at its next turn yet. Um, FP six, two is going to, um, (laughs) take a wingle digit and pop it in his mouth and crunch it down and chew on it and eat it real quick (laughs) as a bonus action. (laughs) Um, so part of FP six, two's previous body, he had some ciphers integrated into his systems that would allow him to cast spells Um, But since he is a synth now, he has to consume wingle digits and uh, to to power them instead of like slotting them into his body. Okay. Um, So he is going to do that. He's going to cast a hex on the death kiss. Okay. You're also going to roll a D100. Okay. What is that for? Uh, You just ate sacrium. Okay. Oh, nice. The good old days. I was that like, wow, that's a table I haven't looked pot. at in a long time. Yeah. All right. Um, that is a 10. I feel a- like Zothkug turns purple. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in the afterlife, Zothkug turns purple. <laughs> FP is now a wild magic ranger. Or FP, a wild magic you cast ranger. magic missile at fifth level. <laughs> Let's go. That's perfect. <laughs> so you see like this, this like his, the pupils of his eyes where they would like cinch down to like super focus. They just kind of glow red in the center while he's, uh, and I think widen a little a bit as he gets a target. contact high off the sacrium. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just like boom, dilate really big. Um, so, okay. Magic missile at fifth level. Yeah. The Let hex, me is look that, that a save up real or, quick. or is it just a thing that happens? Uh, let me look. Da, 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 da. It's just a thing. Great. It's going to take an extra D6 necrotic damage whenever I damage it. Okay. And I get to target an ability check of it and give it disadvantage on those. Okay. What's um, its disadvantaged ability? 
Uh, constitution. Okay. Disadvantage um, constitution. Magic missile. That's going to be three darts at level two. So that means it gets an extra three darts. So that's six darts. So six D four plus six. Nice. Sometimes eating sacrium's good. It's not always yeah. it's not always weird or bad. <laughs> it's always weird. It is always weird, you're right. Like eating a wingle digit is a strange choice. Alright, four, eight, uh, twelve, sixteen plus six. So that's twenty-two? Yep. Okay. 22 points of force damage as his hex actually like fires out of his eyes unintentionally and blasts into this guy. Then he's going to extra necrotic as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he takes damage. Yep. Uh, That's an extra five points of necrotic. Nice. And then he's going to shoot him with his rifle. He's okay. But it's going to be a disadvantage because he didn't do his steady aim this time. Sure. Which isn't that bad. Um, and that is... 19 to hit. Uh, 19 hits. Did you roll that at disadvantage because you're grappled? I did. Okay. Yep, I did. I rolled, a, I rolled an 11 and a 12. Nice. Um, rolled an 11 on the die for the damage. Um, so that is four... 15 points of piercing damage plus another d6 for necrotic so that's 17 points of necrotic damage 17 points of necrotic damage uh as the as the rifle shot lances into kind of the the pink like pudgy skin of the death kiss you see the first little trickle of acrid green blood appear and the death kiss it's like red eye like widens a little bit like in surprise and i think it's going to use its reaction to let go of fp um and in like the shock of having been hit by something so it's going to use its reaction to drop fp um fp i'll give you a chance to use your reaction on something if you want otherwise you're going to fall a lot of feet. Okay. Boat react. Um, I didn't come up with any reactions for the our new YouTube channel. Cugboat reacts. <laughs> Cugboat reacts. <laughs> like if somebody could yell to bruiser, could we try to swoop? Um, it's okay. If not, I think not because it would be like moving a ship is yeah. a, a complicated matter of thrusters and rudder. It's not really something you do quickly. Love you, Wash. Best of luck. Um, so I have a thing that he could do, but it would take a bonus action. Has um, he used his bonus action yet? He did. He used it for uh, Hex. Oh, okay. Um, okay, I have an idea. Did did Clara divulge to everybody what language these things speak? Yes, she all of the information she got, we assume has been relayed. Mm-hmm. He when it when it feels like it's loosening up, he is going to speak to it in abyssal in in binary and just kind of like and say if you drop me, bad things will happen. 
First intimidation. <laughs> I will. I will let you roll the intimidation check, but it's going to have a very high DC because you are a creature that has been grappled by it and has only just barely drawn any blood. Like it brought you out here for the intellectual question of like, okay, why didn't this thing's blood drain? Right. Uh, So it's going to be, it's going to be a high DC, but I'll let you roll it. Can I change what he says? Or did I already say it? I think we're basically at this works or FP dies. I'll let you change what he says. Like, I don't know how you're going to get out of this. Would the creature be like, oh, it can speak. I need to, I need to see what it has to say. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, you know what? I think I I already said it. Okay. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go ahead and roll your intimidation check. Well, he's not trained in intimidation. Okay. Um, and his charisma is negative one. Uh oh. <laughs> so, uh, so we are going to roll a d twenty and see what happens. This is not a good situation to be in here. That is a seven. Oh. But. Jebediah Peppermint. But <laughs> it succeeds? Seeing everything going on and hears FP roar out at this thing. Uh I think he'd like he, I think he'd like to make it succeed. Here's the question I have for you. And I will let okay. you decide the answer. Okay, because there's an option here for the player to say, I don't care, I'm the player and I want the play to work. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Does Jeb know Abyssal? And would Jeb understand the situation of what was at stake here before it was too late? You know what? That's a good question. Let's do it this way. I'll roll an intelligence check for Jeb. Sure. No training, just straight intelligence. Yep. Not good. Not good. That is a six. No, I don't think Jeb is able um, to interpret yeah. the language. Yeah, I think he probably knows something's going on, but I don't think he knows whether he should use the rod to influence FP or influence the death kiss. Oh, and he gets and like frozen think, in that moment. I think in that moment of indecision, like the moment passes. Okay. Um, and the death kiss lashes back the tentacle and FP begins falling. Um, FP hasn't hit anything yet. He's not taking any fall damage, but he's plummeting towards yep. uh, the deep beyond. Um, and that will bring us to the death kisses turn with uh, some goths on deck. Um, uh, question. Yep. How has he started falling and how much I need to know for reasons. Uh, let me, I used to have the rate of fall memorized. Um, how fast do you fall in D and D? He Googled in the world of D and D fifth edition, you fall 500 feet in a round. Um, Holy cow. So it hasn't Wait, been a full round feet yet. In a round? Apparently so. Assuming you don't hit something. Um, so we're going to say he's probably fallen. I would say 80 ish feet between the, 
turns here, you know? Um, wow. That much. That's what, that's what Google's did, uh, in fifth edition. Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. It's, um, 579 feet per round. That's what, yeah. Dang. It's a consistent result. Feather fall allows you to fall 60 feet per round. Dang. Wow. Okay. Uh, well, the, the thing kiss, that he had in his pocket is not going to work with that. The death kiss at the beginning of its turn, um, having dropped FP62, is going to try and um, do its like blood drain thing on. I guess Jeb is next in line. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, okay. I, well, this I, might solve the problem. um, (laughs) it's going to you need to make a dc 16 constitution save okay all right (laughs) (laughs) that's a four plus two six six jeb fails and takes 22 points of lightning damage whoa 22 points of lightning damage and not only that as it happens you see that green cut on the death kiss heal over oh okay owlin sorry um uh i i think the death kiss maybe needs to make a strength save (laughs) or check or something right as as jeb erupts into a tyrannosaurus rex after having drawn blood (laughs) jeb suspended Um, over over the void as a reminder to our listeners jeb being suspended over the void fp just dropped next to him turns into a tyrannosaurus rex the death kiss does not pass its strength save and so jeb is no longer restrained as his size changes in a big way are you colossal is that the size huge huge so that's what three squares yes one two three (laughs) squares of size uh if you are not watching this on youtube you should look at it on youtube just to see giant jeb um giant jeb is big enough to hit allen um allen's gonna get swung out this way and the creature the death kiss is going to make a save to hold on to allen um, and this one, it's going to make it advantage because it's just basically being batted to the side. It does succeed. So Alan, you remain restrained as what the, happens dang. to Jeb. That is a great question. Uh, wash Jeb was two squares away. So I think that, uh, it was 10 feet away for those of you listening at home. So I think there is a chance that like the T-Rex's feet, depending on which way around it is oriented, I think it's little toes might be on the cugboat and he might have a chance to like lean in here. He's not restrained or grappled. What do you so, want to happen? Like speak into I the have moment. A question for me. About, yeah, I have a question for, about the map. Um, yeah. Because it looks like the deck is 10 feet wide, but if you look at the rooms below, they're 20 feet wide. So that tells me there's like a slanting. Yes, so the technically ship is like bulbous. five it's feet out like on either side. So he would be like essentially on the side of it as as it and like as it Got would it. slant down. Probably okay. difficult terrain. He is directly between the two fins, like the the blades on either side okay. with the engines on them. Um, um yeah, he's basically like right on the thruster almost. Um, 
I will give you two options. Either way, the T-Rex is able to keep its grip on the Cugboat. In one of them, um, the T-Rex is going to need to roll a save to keep its grip for for being here. It'll probably be a dexterity save because it can't move very much yeah. and its arms are teeny. In the other one, the Cugboat will take 80 hit points of damage as the T-Rex's massive foot claws dig into the side of the hull. And that's what holds it in place. There's a total of 400 hit points uh, on the Cugboat. I believe it maybe has taken 20 points of damage or something like that so far. Um, <clears throat> I don't think... I, I think I'm going to do the deck save. Okay. Uh, go ahead and roll a dexterity save as a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Natural one, baby. Oh. Oof. The T-Rex appears and teeters and then begins leaning backwards and backwards. It technically passes Owlin if you want to try and do something with a reaction. Um, uh, but otherwise, uh, I think the T-Rex is about to plummet as well. Alan's just going to, well... <sighs> okay, does Alan have the head knowledge to know whether or not Jeb can cast spells as a T-Rex? Uh, Jeb's done this once before, so I'm sure he's explained it to Alan afterwards uh, in like an after-action report. I assume Alan knows that Jeb cannot cast spells as a T-Rex. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, what, what are the, what do you do? Alan could try raging and try to like catch it. Maybe like a, like a run across the T-Rex as it teeters gets it. Well, he would well, have to break still, out of his bonds. Yeah. You're still restrained. I guess Alan yeah. could try raging and catching it and make the death kiss hold them up. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, that's sure. I don't Why know not? what else there is. That is. All, is that something he can do as a reaction? That, will you allow sure. that? Sure, I'll let him try. Okay. All right, Alan will somehow bonus action rage. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and try to like, yep. Hold on to something. Sure. What would he roll? For he's that? restrained Athletics? in place. Maybe he's trying to catch and like push him up. Let's make it a strength save. Alan's like, okay. fine. You want to hold me out here? I'm going to try and push this T-Rex back into the deck of the cugboat. Okay. That's an 18. I don't know what the DC is to hold a T-Rex up. <laughs> Maybe an 18 is high enough that the T-Rex can try again. Maybe it gets another shot at scrabbling with its feet. Like even if Alan only gives it that quick minute, you know, Alan just like kicks as hard as he can. Like, kicks <laughs> like a big old punt. Just punts yeah. this T-Rex in the back. Goes uh, for the kick save. Yep. How about this? We'll call that the aid action. And you okay. can roll, Jeb, you can roll a, a second version of that save. Basically, you're rolling it at advantage. I mean, okay. I'm not going to complain, but it was a natural one, too. But let's see here. Let's see what we get. Let's see what we get. What happens? Let's see what we get. Is it another nat one? I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> Is it another nat one? <clears throat> it's a natural 20. And I don't know how I feel about it. Well, then you can decide how you feel about it. Uh, you tell me whether you want to keep that nat 20 and, and have the success or whether you think it's too much of a gimme and the T-Rex plummets. Hmm. How many of Wash's characters can plummet? In one Either way, game? it's narratively insane. 
whatever happens yeah. here. So like the story is going to be dope no matter what happens. Let me, Oh, let me know if this is a stretch. Is it too much to ask that with, because of the natural one and because of a natural 20, like these are some pretty mixed results, right? Yeah. Could he, could he plummet? But having snapped his jaws onto the tentacle of the death kiss. Like, could he pull it and Owlin down with him? Yes. I think that's possible. Is that the play? I say I don't want to endanger Owlin's character. If Owlin is in danger no matter what. Well, if Jake is cool with this. You can't make him fly. (laughs) You're also a T-Rex who, like, can't really strategize or communicate with his teammates, you know? Like, this is is quite the play. Just as a player to a player, like, if you're cool with with that happening to Owlin, I think that that's the play. Yeah, let's do it. T-Rex Jeb latches his jaw onto maybe four of the flailing tentacles of the Death Kiss. Um, roll the damage from a, a bite attack for me. Uh, we'll, right. we'll give it that damage, uh, that piercing damage before anything else happens. Um, that is 32 points of piercing damage. <coughs> 32 points of piercing damage. And technically it's grappled. Yes. Um, okay. Great. Uh, so, and definitely, like, with the strain and the what everything, like, some more blood appears. Mm-hmm. This creature is bloodied again, for sure. Um, and a bad thing happened because it let FP go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Clara was not heated. <laughs> Clara, from where you and Gunner, or not Gunner, from where you and Garlel have your heads poked out of the hatch, and Gunner with these goths closing in on him, you see Gunner's between like them. Still barely hanging onto the railing. You, yeah, you, you're like looking through the railing and past the goths. You see, first you see FP drop, and there's a heart stopping moment of pause, and then. Jeb turns into a Tyrannosaurus Rex and it looks for a second like he's about to board the Cugboat um, and the laugh at Jeb's incredible contingencies dies in your throat as instead the T-Rex topples backwards losing its balance and then for just the briefest moment you see Owlin suspended alone uh, the leader of Four Guys Ventures and Vibes facing off against this death kiss before with a loud snap the teeth of the tyrannosaurus close and both are yanked down and out of view and on that note tonight's dungeons and dragons session comes to a close holy cow well you and me the end of the video kind of awkward kind of waiting for you to subscribe and you know all that and you know i'm i'm just i'm just i'm just gonna head out